on to these late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach, and I am the writing on the wall. The Whisper in the Classroom. And that second line they cut out of the new movie. And I said that out loud in the theater when he gives the speech, which is the opening monologue. They just left that out. It made no sense. Uh, we are kicking off Monstover. Zach, are you excited? I am so excited. We had to take a three-week break so I could get my Henry Selleck in. I know uh, you weren't involved with Coraline, but we covered that. We covered how much you hate me for loving Paranorman as much as I do last week in our soft opening of Monstover. But now we are here to actually start it once again, and we are starting with uh, a double feature, I guess is the best way to put it. A double feature that all of us sitting at this table went through. So, I guess we'll go around uh, maybe from most important guest to least important. <laughs> uh, of course, we have Babu Frick. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, that's my thought about these movies. <laughs> <laughs> and for the first time you're hearing him, but not the first time he's recorded with us because we live in a turnstile world. Uh, and I forget what I said in the tenant episode, the second part of that. We have Jeremy. Thank you for being here once again for the first time. <laughs> oh, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> right on. And we have somebody who I only met a few days ago. Her name is Rachel. Rachel, thank you for joining us. Hello. Okay. Let's see if that came through in the recording. <laughs> so, Zach, there's no better way to start. I know I have some, some things I want to get into, but I'll do that on my own time. Monstover. It's your baby. It's the fourth time we're doing Monstover. What's the rhyme or reason for this year? What's the what's the gist? Is there one? Um, is there is there a, a purpose to what we're doing in in this monstober? Or um, you know, is it really we're going to have to trash this recording because you're changing it tomorrow? There's a good possibility. Okay. If, I, if only I knew what I was getting involved with when I pitched the Candyman films, yes. there's a good chance. Like I feel like right now, I feel like I wasted the monstober slot. Oh, considering really? okay. the uh, people we have around this table, especially our most esteemed guests. You can hold on to the droid, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but considering uh, that this was uh, quite a unique cinematical experience, if that is a term in the canon. Yeah. Um, Cinema yeah. sadistical. Cinema sadistical or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. We all, can never iron that out. All the same, yeah, I feel like I wasted the Monstober slot. Mm. We know for certain one episode coming later this month is good. Yes. Two are still, one's kind of set in stone. You know, the one could is potentially fluid, but... Okay, uh, okay. Yeah, that's par for the course. But yes, yes, we are talking about dual features of Candyman. Um, the reason why we're doing this, and we haven't really elaborated on it, because we kind of went into it, like, for a 20-minute discussion a week or two from now, yeah, yeah. Um, is because Rob is in New York. Rob yes. and I, for the second time as of uh, continuity, mm. third time in turnstile world, um, we are recording live. Yes, and not only is this going to be our third ever live recording, we are recording for the first time ever in Zach's place. Both of the other live recordings are in my parents' house. So instead of smoke detectors and my dad cursing at the television in the background, we will get crickets. We will get the nature's kingdom of Zach's backyard. <laughs> Just pretend it's bees, folks. Just pretend it's bees buzzing. Yes, yeah. oh, that would have been good, yeah. Maybe. Yes. Record live next yes. to a bees nest. white noise of bees buzzing throughout this entire discussion. <laughs> So, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to be here, glad we get to do this in person. Uh, I think we're all kind of on the same page. The Candyman movie weren't the most exciting things, but we'll get into that with this discussion. Since we were kicking off Monstober, I don't want to derail you too much, Zach, by, uh, you know, trying to get it 
something that isn't Monstober related, but it, it kind of might be. I think, you know, what's scarier than spam emails that we get at the Cinemodity Gmail account? And I actually want to start with something that should have been a spam email, but we received it two days ago on September 5th. Yes, that's how early we're recording these episodes. And somehow the spam filter missed this. This went to our main inbox. The subject line is dark erection secret dot dot dot. From Instahard Promo, it is an erectile dysfunction email. I don't know what we've been saying on Cinemodities for our spam filter to miss this, but I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe Ben or somebody needs this. <laughs> the other two spam emails I wanted to mention, I guess I'll stick with the uh, sexually oriented ones. This one's kind of crazy. Subject line is, I am burning from desire. Now, here, here, this is where this really caught my attention. The email address that this comes from is someone called Bitch Please. But here's the thing. There's no E at the end of please. So it's please as in, like, I am begging or pleading you for something. It's literally, I'm going to turn my computer around, Bitch Please. So my initial thought was... Oh, they left off the E, and it, like, maybe you can't have bitch please because that's such a common phrase. But then I go down to the email, which is basically some weird snapshot of like a Twitter feed, and it's from two posts from bitch please that say, can you open me new horizons of pleasure? And the second post says, I like to discover new ways of spending time with pleasure, and I would, with two Ds, like to discover more of them with you. What do you say? Want to give it a shot? So I think I was wrong. It's not supposed to be bitch please with an E. This is actually a bitch pleading for pleasure from us, I think. I think that there's actually cleverness in this, uh, in this spam email. Um, we, of course, responded immediately with uh, dick pics, as we often do. <laughs> now, the last spam email I can get before we jump into this, Zach, and we, we talk about all of our theater-going experience and whatnot, uh, one of my favorite spam emails we've gotten in a while, subject is critical security warning. So, of course, we have to look into this. Uh, it is from Instargam. <laughs> Instagram, okay. in, in Instagram, where the G and the R are switched. Instagram, and then the email says, "Hi, someone tried to sign in for your Instagram account with cinemodusgmail.com. If it was you, enter this confirmation code. It's trying to get you click a link." It's it really. I lose faith in spam emailers when they use the same word twice and only fuck up the spelling once. It really makes me think, they're not on the up and up with what they're doing. Okay, Zach, I'm glad, I'm glad Zach gave me that leeway. I don't think Jeremy, Rachel, or Babu Frick had any way of stopping me from reading those spam emails. But, as Zach said, Candyman, 1992, Candyman, 2021, we are discussing both of them. And I think, uh, which is going to be a common theme in this Monstober, we are recording this pretty much after seeing both of them. I think, when did we start the first Candyman? Maybe 2 p.m. or something like yeah, that? Yeah, 2.30. And, you know, so... It's currently uh, 8.20. Yeah. time. Yep. So we, we watched the original. We did not watch the uh, sequels, the direct-to-video sequels. We went straight to the theater and caught 2021. And It should uh, be stated, like, for the record, that, like, the movie ended, what, like... 3.45, yes. and by like 4.30 we were at the movie theater. Yes, yes. And uh, then we caught the 5 o'clock showing, ended maybe 6.45. It was, a packed, it was a packed theater, we should say. We had to fight oh, to get yes. tickets. We got yes. the last four tickets for the entire showing. Packed with ghosts that we couldn't see because we didn't have a mirror <laughs> anywhere. You know? and, the, and the box office taker told us that she was born in 1992 at least 100 I, times. So this is, I'm glad you bring this up because as everybody <laughs> knows, we, we went to the movies together. Zach and I went to the movies together 
Zach, whenever you go to the movies, you have a story. Now we all have a story. <laughs> you and Rachel bought your tickets together. Jeremy and I bought our tickets together, and we are two different kiosks. We were not in the conversation that you two were having about how the age of the cashier was exactly your age. I think that's what yes, we heard. We yes. were waiting online, and Jeremy and I were talking about something, and... She, she wanted your ID. Yeah, she carded me. We didn't I, get carded, right? <laughs> no. at, yeah. At 29 years old, I was carded for an R rated We film. didn't get carded. Zach did for some reason, and I. I Rachel know... did not get carded. Okay. Rachel... Okay. And I bought her ticket, which is kind Zach, of. Zach, you look very young for you. for for a candy man. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I remember, you know, I, I guessed you took your ID out, and I heard her say, "We're the same age," and that's where we kind of fell off. So, so please, Zach, enlighten us. What what was the deal? What was going on in that? In that endeavor, I guess. Oh, God. Everybody knows he went to the infamous Avengers Endgame movie theater. Yes. This is the movie theater of uh, Rob and I's childhood. Mm -hmm. Jeremy's, when we saw After, is the prelude to yes. Avengers Endgame. Rachel and I have seen, what, Cruella there. We saw Shang-Chi there. So oh, Rachel's Cruella's a good movie. Rachel, what do you think about Cruella? I fell asleep during it. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. I'm glad you said something. You started with a facial expression. I was going to go, that doesn't work on this podcast. <laughs> Uh, okay, I'm glad we're all agreeing. Corella's great. Continue, Zach. <laughs> but what happens is that like every time we go to this movie, something always has to go wrong. Yes. Like nothing can ever go according to plan at this movie theater. I'm I like, have to inter. When was the sign language thing? Remember, you had people in front of you doing sign language to each oh, other. No, what movie that. was that? Yeah, we'd have to I dig up the that. records. That was at this like point, years I, at ago. At this point, like considering how many times I've gone to that theater, they all blur together. Something, <laughs> something awful is happening in that theater. Um, no, we had a cashier that was a absolutely fascinating that her and I were born the same year. Because I'm not sure about you, but uh, there's there's many years, and the idea that two people can be born on the same one is like kind of momentous. It's a miracle when you really boil it down to its true essence. Are there? At least ten years, as there are ten rings. <laughs> <laughs> wrong movie, wrong. Nobody's wrong. gonna like this joke. <laughs> I'm, Zach, I'm gonna leave New York. Zach and Jeremy are gonna be like, I thank God I never hear to talk about <laughs> ten rings again. <laughs> you care about the all through Target as you walk down the toy aisle. Otherwise, they're not on their ten rings. Um, but no, it was fact that she wanted to know what month I was born in afterwards as well. Well. Didn't she look at your life? She did, but that was the thing, too. I guess she wanted to corroborate that. No, she, she struggled with that, too, right? She was struggling with the date, trying to figure out if I was 18. She wanted to figure out if I was 17 or not. Apparently, in the year of 2021, minus 17, and when you see a 1-9 beginning of the year, that was a little too hard for Wait, this where, cashier. Didn't she start with by saying we were born in the same year? Yes, but the month was... No, she was trying to figure out the month, though. The month, the month was similar. Okay. And she was born in July. Okay. So does she think that somehow... People born in August of 1992 are 17, but people born in July of 1992 are 28, 29? We're not entirely certain, but we know okay. she moved on fast from that because she's like, what high school did you go to? And I'm like, this oh, is weird. Oh, and you were like, are you a bot trying to collect information from me right now? What is your mother's maiden name? What was the name of your first pet? But yes, and then like, I, Rachel and I bought tickets, started before Rob and Jeremy did. Yes. Ron, Rob and Jeremy went to a different line, purchased tickets came back to us, and we had still not completed our transaction yet. Yes, this was still going right. on. That's right. It gave me the chance to sneak some, uh, some napkins. Yes. <laughs> yes, because we'll get to, of course, what snack we stuck into the theater so everybody could see what we were eating. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so she was a little weird. She was a little Just off, a little. it seems. Just a okay, little. okay, right on. Um, but then, you know, thankfully, that was the endeavor at this movie theater. It happened before the movie. I guess from our ticket taker, we didn't know it at the time. The two people who were working, like one guy was helping us and the woman was just talking to him. Uh, they both said Candyman was good. Oh. <laughs> so that was our, our like, you know, misdirection for, for before seeing this movie. 
But then I think we got into the theater. You know, we we they took our tickets. We got in. It was the same ticket taker from the Avengers Endgame experience. Yes, I even asked Zach. I was like, "Is that the guy you know?" And two, they, two and a half years later, he is yes. still there. He's yes. just waiting. It's, uh, it's he's a waiting, career. <laughs> he's waiting for Avengers Five. Oh God! <laughs> and and then we got in, and as Zach said, it was packed. It was packed with emptiness. We were the only four <laughs> people in the theater. It was great. But we got to see our girlfriend. Of course. We got to see, I guess, maybe the last five, seven minutes of, of Nuvi. Yes. No um, longer the 20. No longer the 20. No longer the first look. It's Nuvi, of course. And we got to see Maria Menounos. Rachel got to play the augmented reality game yes. on her phone. She Rachel, saved the theater. What? She did save the theater. That was important. <laughs> did, was, that, was this saving the theater guarantee you five stars? Of course. Okay. Okay. Good. So check your leaderboards for Candyman at five in Poughkeepsie. <laughs> <laughs> you're, gonna, you're, you're talking to the master of that, of that segment right here. Um, and then, you know, I think that's kind of it. I mean, the next thing that happened was the movie ended and, and you know, we were all kind of like, we, uh, we didn't like that. <laughs> yeah, that's a very bad taste in our mouth. Like, I guess that's the best place to start. Um, uh, well, do we want to say context first? Because we have two whole movies. I think everybody knows about the new Candyman. The, the original Candyman, my context, which I told everybody before we recorded this, I didn't even know this movie ever existed until 2017 when Kendrick Lamar's Damn album came out, and there's the song Element on there, where he has the line, just say his name and I promise that you'll see Candyman. Most of y'all throw rocks and try to hide your hand, just say his name and I promise that you'll see Candyman, because it's all in your eyes, most of y'all tell lies. And I had no idea what this was. And I remember listening to that album constantly with Justin because we loved that album and still do love that album. And I remember asking him, like, what, what is he talking about? Like, who's, like, is Kendrick Lamar talking about, like, giving drugs away? Like, the Candyman? Like, the serial killer or something? And I had to Google it, and it's like, oh, it's this slasher movie from the early 90s. And I was like, oh. And lo and behold, Zach has now made me watch it. Made all of us watch it, I guess, <laughs> is the way to put it. So, Zach, what's your history with Candyman? I know you said you'd never seen it. But how did you... Is this something that just popped into your mind from the horror genre throughout oh, yeah. the years? Okay, oh, yeah. that it, makes sense. It's definitely been around for a while. Um, it kind of goes back to almost, um, oh, God, the very first understanding of, like, the horror slasher genre. Back in the day, going through Blockbuster Video, they had this thing back, like, right before, like, like home video kind of died out. It was called Boogeyman. I'm showing... It's getting passed around the room. Mm. It was essentially, like... Okay, a I don't like that. Don't show me Chucky pictures. <laughs> <laughs> Give it to Jeremy. Give it to <laughs> Essentially, what it was, it was like it was like a clip show reel of like the best moments. Okay, it's kind of what gave me the idea at one point for my um, projector for Halloween clips mm. back ten years ago. Basically, it was like oh, it was like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It was the very end with like Sally and him like dancing in like in the the sunrise, Freddy Krueger killing Sally, stuff like that. And so, obviously, one of the things on here is. Candyman. Okay. And he always was aware, I was always aware of that. My mother had seen Candyman. She talked about it like very free, like infrequently. It was one of those things like, oh yeah, like, like Tony Todd is great. And I'm like, that's weird. But I also knew my mother saw some of that stuff. Like, I remember she saw Scream back in the day. Oh wow, okay. I don't know why, but she did. And um, so I was always aware of this though, but like, I really didn't care. To me, Tony Todd will always be Final Destination Man. I'm glad you say that because that's all I know him from. And when I was making my notes, I was like, oh, Tony Todd's in this, you know? It would be great to see him. I know him as, what is he in the Final Destination movie? Because he's not deaf. No. He's more like, um... He's like a little, like, ghoul that cackles in the character. Yeah, actually, I, I mean, Jeremy might not... Maybe Jeremy and Babu Frick understand this reference. Uh, I remember I go black. 
okay, maybe he doesn't remember it. If the memory goes black, who knows? But I've always seen Do Tony Todd in the Final Destination movies as like a botan from Yu Yu Hakusho, like a spirit guide. Like he's not quite the, the River Styx person because he's dealing with these people before they die. So he's more of this earthly spirit guide. And he's always trying to tell them like, you know, you're going to die in the Final Destination movies. So I, I He's Mr. Bloodworth, apparently. Yes, I've seen that they give him that name in canon or whatever, but I don't think it's ever said in any of the movies, um, which I haven't seen in like eight years when Ben and I binged him. But So I, I have to ask Zach. He's credited as the devil in the third one. Ooh, that could make sense. I could see Botan as the devil as well from Yu Yu Hakusho. So, so I, ha I, have, I have two questions. One, do you remember what clip they showed from Candyman in that, uh, that, that thing that you just showed us the poster for? And was it the... Okay, so Zach does not remember. I would bet it's the bees coming out of the mouth scene. That's the only really striking moment from the first one that would be like a horror moment. This other DVD than the was, blood and stuff like this that. This DVD was weird, though. Like it was like it was a cynical <laughs> cash grab thing. Okay. Like, like that's the. Th I'm trying to figure out. Like okay, let's. Okay, keep talking, Ron. We're doing real time research. This is what you get. Uh, we have, since we're going through the turnstiles, we set this all up in two weeks from now. Uh, but this is what you get. When we record so over three person. hours of entertainment. Oh, of entertainment. Yes, but it's six hours of movie. <laughs> <laughs> Only three of those are entertainment. <laughs> yes. So yeah. doesn't so, say what segment. Okay. Okay. I would. I would guess it's the bees because I feel like the bees is so are so iconic from the original movie. As we talked about that being such a major marketing point of the 2021 version of Candyman, um, and in the original movie, that's one of the cooler parts is when he has all the bees in his mouth. Like that's gross. That's striking. You know. So I'm. I'm all about it. I did read in my research for this that in the entirety of the original movie. There are more than two hundred thousand real bees used, yeah. and they are—they're actual bees, but they were bred for the movie, and they had to be a certain age so that they looked like full-grown bees, but they their stingers wouldn't like really hurt people. And it's something like in that scene with the bees in his mouth, like five hundred bees were used, and they said it took like an hour, or an hour and a half to get all the bees in his mouth and on him, and that he was just Tony Todd was saying in an interview that he was just zoned out in like a trance state when they were filming that, because he's just like, please let it be over, you know? <laughs> it has to be, because I'm looking at, like, the credits for it, Okay, the people listed in that segment are him and Virginia Madsen. Sure, sure. It would okay. have to be that. I would hope it's that over the other scenes they share together, where he's, like, floating above her in the insane asylum, because that was weird. I was like, what is going on? You know, why is he flying all of a sudden? <laughs> so... I guess I guess we're starting with the original movie. Is that fair to say? I, I guess we should. Yeah. Uh, uh, not to leave our guests out, of course, Babu Frick, context. Hello, I, Babu Frick. Okay, Babu Frick might be on a different page from the rest of us now, but uh, Jeremy, any knowledge of Candyman prior to this, this recording? I learned about the existence of these movies 24 hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay, when the we recruited you for this. Much like the bees, Jeremy is just immediately being thrown into the deep end with this. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Rachel, are you kind of in the same boat? Same boat. Okay. I did not know about the movie. Okay, okay. Um, but this is one, if I, if I know what's, if I'm recalling what Zach told me, this is something you wanted to watch. Well, okay. Oh. Is that the... No, I remember seeing the trailer for it for another movie we were watching. And sure. I was like, eh, I don't want to see it. And I was actually shocked that he wanted to see it. <laughs> so, 
Well, the reason why, it should be stated, the reason why this got picked was not because I had any sort of, like, motivations, like, oh, this looks intriguing. What happened was, Rob was coming to New York, Mont Sober time. Gotta see a movie. We, gotta see a movie while we're here, because last time, like, everything was shut down. The last movie we saw in theaters, I, I was just dying for years to make it not Avengers. I wanted us to say we saw anything else. <laughs> Pretty much. At one point, like I said, Rob was going to see The Rise of Skywalker, and Rob went out of his way to make sure that wouldn't happen either. Yeah. Um, Rob's like, we yeah. can't replace another Disney property. Like, <laughs> no, it's, still, it's still just as bad. It's still cursed. Um, but no, and the thing that, and this ties more into the uh, 2021 film, is that like, all, I saw like one headline, it's like, oh, this is like reminiscent of like Kubrick-esque. I'm like, and this goes back to like the under the skin marketing where I'm just like, oh, I'm a sucker for sure. that. I'm a sucker for that sort of like terminology. And uh, it just seemed to work. It was like either this or, or Shang-Chi, which I know Rob would never, ever allow to do another Marvel film. Ah, uh, well... Little does Just Rob to know be it's fair, coming in November. I don't know if you guys have heard this. Zach was keeping me in the dark about this because he knows I don't watch the trailers. There were ten rings in this film. <laughs> I would have been all about that if Zach had told me there were ten of them. <laughs> that's the stupidest joke. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's that's our context. I guess. Do we want to? My thought was, you know, after watching the original before we saw the new one, I guess we might do like a comparison because sure. I thought it was going to be more of a soft reboot. But like Jeremy said, when we finished the it's movie, everything it's, they, they it's don't, trying they... to be everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess do we want to start with the original? Well, I want to. Okay, should yeah. we say first off, is spoilers for the new one? Like, there's nothing to spoil, but just spoilers. There's nothing, yeah, there's yeah, nothing you fair, could say yeah. about this movie that would be like, oh my god. It's been out for were... a month when this episode comes out, but still, you know, spoilers. We're going to get spoilers. into a relatively How... new movie. Spoiler yeah. alert, Han Solo dies. Oh, you didn't tell me that. Spoiler, Spoiler alert. alert, there's ten rings. <laughs> <laughs> I'm angry at myself I was not fast. Uh, faster I was waiting for you. I was, yes. I was surprised you didn't jump, you didn't jump into that. Uh, yeah, I, I guess we should say that, like, okay, overall, the first one. Did you did we enjoy it or not going around the room? First half, I was wildly bored and I had no idea what the movie was about. Second half, it was muddled but weird enough to be entertaining. And we're going to talk about this in great detail, but the last scene of the movie includes a giant paperclip on a wall that made me forget the rest of the film. Uh, it should be noted that, like, well, like, like after that was over and we were kind of just, like, I don't know, like, getting our footing, was that, like, like Rachel was outside making a phone call, Jeremy was, like, doing something else, and Rob's just like, apparently I can buy a nine-foot paperclip yes. for $200. Yes. yes. Rob wanted to know how i get something of, like, that ilk. Can we, okay, we have to track this down right now. So, so one, this is what I want to say. Forget the how and the why you would produce such a large paperclip. Who in the world sees that at a store, like at a thrift store, at a crate and barrel? I don't know, this would be like Pier 1 Imports, I think. Like, who would see that and go, I want that for my kitchen? <laughs> who would ever think that? Does anybody have an answer? <laughs> a grad student. I don't think the grad student would want a paperclip, even in the early 90s. I don't know, that was so strange to me. But yes, Zach is right, I found a nine-foot paperclip <laughs> that I, we can like order from Sweden or something for like over like $275 plus shipping. In, in Rob's words from earlier today, Ben's going to find out the hard yes. way that we depleted the Patreon I was funds. about to say, everybody go, go give to the Patreon so we can purchase a giant paperclip. <laughs> that's, a, that's a goal. Literally, let's buy the giant paperclip. Yes. But the first movie, I think it was weird enough that it kept uh, my attention. I think you said something similar to that, right, yep. Jeremy? Yeah. Okay. I'm totally in agreement there. Right on. Mm -hmm. Right on. What, what did you think about the first one, Zach? Oh, God. I think you kind of kept your, your thoughts Literally, little... the first... Like, like Candyman, spoiler alert, does not show up until almost halfway through the movie. It's like the 44-minute yeah. mark. I, I noticed that you... That's you what I did. I was curious. because like, timestamp. Yeah. yeah. It keeps going on. You keep seeing like certain like imagery of him. like He's spray-painted on a wall, like stuff like that. Um, and then it's like... But like Tony Todd's kind of great. 
Yeah. But he's used like like I've always made the reference or the um like benchmark of sparingly when it comes to certain of these characters. Mm-hmm. And like he's used so sparingly it's almost criminal. Yeah. Like, like because you know what I think it is what they went for with this? It's very similar to Pinhead and Hellraiser. Yeah, they okay. want to use him so sparingly that people are draw again, it's less is more. Yep. You tease it, you tease it, you tease it. And I can come from like Jeremy I at one point we're like watching uh Candyman explained YouTube yes. video for like half an hour yes. where everybody was like making phone calls and using the bathroom. <laughs> and apparently, like his like his history is explained for like the subsequent films, and he's yes. in a lot more. Yeah, yeah, that's what it seemed like when I the little bit I saw it gathered. There was a lot of clips where I was like, "Well, this wasn't in the movie. Oh, it's from the sequel, yeah. so, which we did not watch." And that's, I guess and that's the Hellraiser thing, where like Pinhead becomes the protagonist, weirdly yes. enough, of like yes. the rest of the film. Yeah, once Alan Smithy becomes the director for I think th- well, at least one of them as, as the Pinhead animatronic boss. From that Bloodlines, which is the Alan Smithy. Yes, that's film. right. Yes, once Alan Smithy takes over, uh, it's like any questions about Hellraiser or Pinhead, we're going to answer all of them, and they're going to be terrible answers. <laughs> but yeah, the first movie, like I love the actual Tony Todd stuff. Like, yeah, the, the, like that stuff's phenomenal. Watching like a confused Virginia Madsen just make bad choices, like throughout like an hour and a half film, I'm just like this is kind of like it's fine. Yeah, like I can imagine like renting this from Blockbuster in like 1993 and being like, okay, sure. Like I got like four dollars worth out of this by today's standards is a reason why it's been forgotten as a property there's outside of him and again yeah. that's it's very specific but there's no reason to watch exactly this. and I, that's exactly what i gathered for myself you know after finishing the movie it's like yeah there's kind of a reason it took me until 2017 to know this existed because of an obscure reference in a song type of thing that i i know after researching it's become somewhat of a cult classic and you know it, it gets a remake maybe because of cult classic maybe because you know hollywood is i think it was bankrupt it's a creatively okay. bankrupt hollywood system and this one was cheap cheap it, is a great when we get to the when we get to the property, remake a cheap, or, pro, a cheap property yes as in that, a franchise cheap property and i want to talk about how i think the, the actual movie was cheap in some regards but we'll get to that we'll get to but that. rachel what did yes. you think of Candyman 1992 or three i think it's two two okay the same year that uh maggie the cashier was born I did an open mouth. We should have told, we should have told her that. The, I should have told her that. <laughs> we just watched the movie from 1992. <laughs> Do you know Candyman? We're seeing it in a couple of minutes. You want to join us? <laughs> we should have Maggie on the call. Yes. How do we, how do we, how do we hit her up? <laughs> All right, Rachel. So what did you think of the original Candyman? I was entertained by it for the most part. It was, it's not going to be an, a movie that I want to see again. Okay. Good thing we bought so, the Blu-ray and there's two discs. You can have the theatrical <laughs> You gotta cut. see the theatrical cut. We'll send you home with that. You can come back and do a post-recording. You can tell us the differences. The half, Should we state that they're like, in the... De- okay. It should be stated that oh, for, yeah. in oh. preparation for this like recording, I bought the Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. And like this came from yesterday's recording, but the recording that'll come out a week or two from now. Oh, yeah. Where Jeremy, Rob, and I are trying to figure out the difference between the killer cut and the regular cut of Friday the Thirteenth, two thousand nine. Yes. So we open the Blu-ray case, and there's a theatrical and an unrated cut. And we're like, "What do we choose?" And we looked at the runtime, and the runtime for both versions were ninety nine minutes. <laughs> and we're just like, "Like what? <laughs> like why even make a second disc at this point?" Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like we looked it up on the cover of that website's called. We gotta make a note of this. Like it's like Tadler, but it's for like different cuts of movies. Yeah, I'll have it in my my history. Um, it's the idea. Like, we and we'll up, mention it by name two weeks from now. <laughs> it's like literally, what it is the difference is like literally, it's like I think a like, a half a second of okay. like, like extra gore. Yeah. That's unnoticeable to the human eye. It's one of those things where like you, like blink and you miss it. So do you, do you think it was uh like an MPAA like frame fucking like take out these. F- 
this like however many frames make up half a second or something. It could okay, be that. Yeah. Considering how like they love the micromanage, especially nineties. Exactly. They, they had a lot of power in the nineties after how they let things kind of loose in the eighties. Yep. Oh um, yeah. And especially Clyde Barker, anything with his name on it, they probably got bent out of joint about. Definitely. Um. Yeah. That's kind of the thing. That's yeah. The, the yes, Rachel's gonna go back and watch another cut for us. Good, good. I'm it's glad you're doing back. my homework. Okay, Next okay. year for the uh, four year extravaganza, make a note of that we're gonna have Rachel go watch the <laughs> okay. actual cut and she'll report back <laughs> and see if she enjoyed it six months later. Perfect, perfect. Okay, so that that's our thoughts the original. I guess we'll start with the original. Um, I, I think maybe it's even better to say I like the original a lot better than the new one. Like I don't really think I liked either movie, but. I didn't think there was going to be this much of a gap between how much I liked either movie. And the first one, like I said, first half's boring, second half gets really weird and crazy, and, you know, there's some moments where we're laughing at it and just confused by it. The second one was just kind of a, a slog. I don't know why I want to say slog, but I guess we'll get to the whole Jordan Peele of it. That's really the thing to discuss with the, the, the new Candyman. Um, but I think one of the biggest things that jumped out to me in the original Candyman was Virginia Madsen. I thought Virginia Madsen's performance was fantastic in the original Candyman. I, I recently saw Virginia Madsen as Jim Carrey's wife slash lover in number 23, and she was fine in that, but I mean, you know, being fine in the number 23 is like, you know, being at the, the front of like a, a kidney wait, transplant waiting list or something like that. It's still not the best thing. <laughs> Zach almost did a spit take for the audience at home. But I, I wanted to get Zach's opinion on this. What did you think about Virginia Madison? She's playing a lot. She's not only playing the the researcher, the scared, the but She's facing the same her fears. Character from Hellraiser, like the the, I mean, the daughter. It's the same character. With, I, I, I'll give it credit. Clive Barker is weird. Yeah, he does things outside the norm for this stuff. Like back in the eighties, and this being the early nineties. And this again, we don't even know how how involved was he in this film. He wasn't. Well, he he even produced the first film. I don't. I think he did. Maybe. Maybe. maybe but I found something. Yeah. He, he wasn't involved with the remake. Yeah. He got. We think we. It was a joke in the theater where he must have gotten a check out of this. Yes. Um, yeah. They put his name in the credits. Um, no, it's the same thing that like. It's Hellraiser, as in like you have a protagonist that isn't just simply Laurie Strode, mm -hmm. Nancy. Oh God, the rest of them. <clears throat> she's not just typical female teenager. She's at least has something a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you got to give credit where credit is due, but just because you're doing something different doesn't make it good. Um, I thought she was, she was serviceable. It gets kind of goofy after a while. Like, it, it, it's just, I, I was not, like I said, fine performance, nothing yeah. to detract from the actress. It's just more what she was given to work That's with. That's fair, and I think she, that's a good point. She was really good with what she handled. I just like the kind of range that we saw her character go through. With the with the researcher, the scared. I loved in those scenes when she was like being uh, encountered, like Candyman. Tony Todd was encountering her. She was almost hypnotized and stuff like that. I thought a, a lot of that played well, really, really well. This is where it's hard for me to differentiate between like the performance and the movie because it's like, is that something that the movie is doing? A, the filmmaker director is having a hard time explaining to the audience. These are kind of like okay. the powers of the antagonist, mm -hmm. and that's what is happening. Or is this a performance that's not being reined in? Ah, and that's okay. where I'm just like, okay, like I don't know where that line is. So I have a hard, like, I don't want to kind of like, like what's the word, defame the the actress, yeah. but also the movie's not holding my hand, not even holding hand, just giving me a guide rail. Yeah, and that's where I'm because like, a lot of stuff's happening. We don't know what Candyman's powers are. Exactly. Other than like, we we joked in this, it's really bad in the remake. It's all over the place, as in like where his powers begin and ends. Like, because yeah. clearly Candyman is somewhat reminiscent of like Freddy Krueger. He sure. has that level of just kind of appearing. And even God, even weirdly Beetlejuice. Because like, Beetlejuice came before this. Yep, yep. So yep. I don't know about the short story. Do you know when the short story was written? Uh, no, I don't. I would imagine sometime in the early to mid-80s yeah. uh, when Clive Barker was doing his stuff. Um, 
I'm glad you mentioned Beetlejuice, because, of course, when I hear Candyman, you just say his name five times. I'm like, Beetlejuice beat you to the punch with three. That's way more efficient. And then even, um, this was something that I actually, you know, it might be an amalgamation of these two things, but um, back in uh, Season 10, Episode 11 of South Park, Hell on Earth 2006, they, they have this running gag throughout the episode that if you say Biggie Smalls three times into a mirror, Notorious B.I.G. will appear. And I think at the end, Butters conjures him to get him into a club or something like that, you know? And I remember watching, because I've seen, like, seasons 1 through 20 or 21 of South Park, I remember watching that episode and just going, oh, this is a Bloody Mary reference. Because yeah. everybody remembers that urban legend of you say Bloody Mary three times in a mirror, you see the girl with the, you know, blood-stained dress and the knife. I had no clue that that was supposed to be a Candyman reference, and according to the South Park wiki, that's what it's supposed to be. And I have to go back and rewatch that episode to, to know, like, now I've seen the movie and how it connects. But it's just like, what? Well, the point I'm trying to make is, why five? Five is so many times! Hi, Barker, be Barkering, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now I'm just trying to think. I know I might jump the gun with snacks a little bit, but maybe we have our own, like, uh, maybe way you summon Deadeye Orson Welles. You have to say Orson Welles 73 times into Paul the mirror. You say Paul Masson 73 oh. times. Or you have to say Paul Masson 73 times, or one really good, oh, the French. <laughs> So, yeah, I had to shout out Virginia Madsen, because you shout out Tony Todd, and I have to agree with you. He's great. Yeah. He's sparing, and it's criminal, but he's great. And I think it was that YouTube video we watched that really hit the nail on the head. He is so eloquent as a villain. And that's something I don't think we get a lot from our slasher genre. You know, they're either silent or, you know, bitch, 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 like Freddy Krueger, right? <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like, that's where you... I was hoping... Like, from watching the remake, and we're kind of jump back and forth. Mm -hmm. They're, like, very early in the film, like we get, like, the guy coming out of, like, the wall with, like, the, the what is that called? The sickle? Or, like... A hook. I think it's hook. just, like, a straight it's, hook. It's just yeah. a hook. And he's, like, giving the kid candy. I'm, like, great, I want this. And we're going straight out the gate. Candyman. Yes. Like, he's here. Like, we're gonna, like it's that thing of, like, we're not going to be here. The remake started with the Willy Wonka Candyman yes. song, which I had, was singing earlier yes, in the day. Rob, <laughs> yes, Rob was happy. There. Rob was quite happy when that started. Yes. Um, I had nowhere to go but down. The two that. best parts of our theater going experience were hearing the Willy Wonka song and the Halloween Kills trailer where we got to see the pumpkin mask from Halloween 3 <laughs> where I audibly went, ooh! <laughs> I'm not just going to sit and watch another innocent person die. If you track Michael's victims... That's a Yeah, Halloween Kills. That's gonna be a fun discussion next year. We spent four movies into one discussion. That's gonna, yes. be, that's gonna be a hell if of a If we time. see that in theaters, Zach, I will wear my pumpkin you mask for it. Yes, I will. I will cut off most of the screen just to have that. Hopefully, my head will turn Rob to suffocate. Bugs. Rob suffocates because there's no mouth hole, <laughs> but he'll be able. To, like, sir, the mask mandates are over. Boop 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 yes, boop boop boop. boop. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I said, it was that idea that like I want much like again going to Friday the Thirteenth two thousand nine that you'll hear about in a couple of week weeks is that like you start just, just it's just there it's yeah. happening you're into motion yeah. and maybe that's something we kind of give kind of give that film credit for after the fact maybe there is a theme to this monster but the idea of like remake versus uh, oh, like, like something sure. so many years later yeah. Um, that's the thing. Like, I was hoping we would delve directly into that in the movie, the 2021, just immediately just like blows that idea up. It's like, that's not Candyman, it's just a man. Yep. And yep. it's like, okay, why does he have a hook hand? How's he able to walk around with a hook hand? 
Like, you get gangrene, they have to cut his, further up his arm off. And it's like razor blades and lollipops, and Rob's just like, shut up and take my money. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was a great part where, where uh, the dude, just the laundromat guy, just busts out a candy wrapper, like a lollipop with a wrapper on, rips the wrapper off, and sees, holds it up, and uh, you can clearly yeah. see it's a razor blade in the, in the lollipop In the mold. mold. Ben and I have made hard candy together before. It takes time. It takes time to, like, set... We didn't set razor blades in our in our lollipops. I just want to get not, that straight. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. But it like it takes some effort because when you make the mold for hard candy, it's soft when it starts. So how do you get like the lolly? You have to make like two. I don't know. I don't know. We're gonna look into it. We're gonna have to look into the actual recipe because you better damn well believe I want actual razor blades and candy at the restaurant. <laughs> It's it's it was something else. It but, was yeah, something but, but going back to the, <laughs> now I'm thinking there, there's a level of exhaustion <laughs> yeah. and like defeat in that tone right there. Everybody, yeah, I want yeah. you to pick up on. Wasn't that. it weird in the 2021 version that in the middle of the movie they just cut to black and it started flashing the word gentrification over that and over? That was strange. I thought only I noticed that. I'm glad you saw that in your yeah, viewing yeah. too. Yeah, you know, okay, the subliminal messaging didn't really work on us. We noticed it. <laughs> oh god, that's like a movie's a trip, man. Like mm. it, it's a bad trip, but it's a trip. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, God, uh, the performances for the second one, I want to save, because I don't really think really anybody stood out. I love Virginia Madsen and Tony Todd. I did want to talk, I, w- I wanted to pick you guys' brain, Bernard Rose, the writer and director of the first movie. Have you ever heard of him, Zach? No. He's been around, clearly. Yeah, but... and I, I had never heard of him. When I dived, uh, dove into his filmography, he's, he's not like a, an unknown. It's not like this is the only movie he ever made. But literally, in reading through his, you know, filmography, the only thing I actually knew was he directed the music video for Neil Diamond's Red Red Wine. How <laughs> <laughs> about that? Uh, I guess I have heard of Anna Karenina. He directed oh, that, apparently. Not that I've ever seen it or anything like that. But then after Candyman, it's like uh, Immortal Beloved, Anna Karenina, Ivan's XTC. Are you sure it's the Anna Karenina that you're thinking of? No. <laughs> I think you're thinking of the Keira Knightley one. I probably am. I probably am. Is that uh, even Kieran Knightley? I don't know. Uh, he directed something called Snuff Movie. Well, we've all, we all know. We're, uh, we're big fans of Snuff Movie uh, here The Kreutzer Sonata, Derek, which is documentary, Mr. Nice, Two Jacks. I, nothing I've ever heard of. And so I'm just like, okay. You know, he did Candyman, and that's what he's kind of living off of, I guess, at yeah, this point. Just like Tony second. Todd and some interviews I saw for him. He's yeah, always saying, he's like... He's never stopped working. Well, him. yeah, he is wildly prolific, of course, but he's always going to be remembered for Candyman, it seems, or the Final Destination movies, like we said. It's just weird that we, we get this thing that, you know, I start to read as a cult classic by this director that I've never heard of, and um, it turns out that, you know, it might be a cult classic for whatever reason. Well, I guess not whatever reason. Let's get into it. What is the original movie going for? Oh, God. That, that's what I was so torn about. It's, they're both watered-down like, premises. Well, like, exactly. The remake is even further well, watered-down. Well, I think, I think the, the remake is watered-down and almost like completely desaturated of meaning other than you know, surface-level gentrification. Yes, yes. Where I feel this, the original movie, they're trying to play it both ways. They're trying to have a horror slasher movie, and then they're also trying to talk about some the way that we immortalize monstrous people through through myth or through legend, stories, through legend and lore, and and in the movie, of course, they talk a lot about it in terms of mythology and legend and urban legend. But you know, I think it par- uh, parallels exactly with you know Ted Bundy, with Ed Gein, with the way that we love true crime, the way that we love to learn about you know serial killers who are totally monstrous people, and some of them actually become serial killers because they want to be famous, you know, and that's a really neat idea. 
A slasher movie is a really neat idea. The movie wanted both, and it was watered down. And I really wish it picked well, it the lane. Gel. The ideas didn't. It gel didn't gel either. at and all. They tried. Yeah. They tried hard and didn't work. And I, I really wish we had just taken a stance and stuck with it because I would have been so into it. But that goes back to like my question about the rules of the yes. movie. Yes. And that goes back to even like as much as like there's a reason why Nightmare on Elm Street sticks out because like there's very specific rules. Even though mm -hmm. in the sequels that got very muddled because Freddy Krueger kind of just comes and goes as he pleases. Um, as in like like an entity. But with this though you have like the idea like oh like Candyman can like come and go as he pleases. Yes. And then at the end like he drags Virginia Madsen into like the giant like pile of rubbish or debris and then, like, she's like, stabs him with, like, flaming wood, and he dies. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yep. I'm like, this, that's all you needed? And I'm like, yeah. it was that simple. All you needed was, like, a match and some, like, like kindling. And it's like, <laughs> okay, we got him this guy, Tom yep. guys. Like, we don't know about the sequels. Who knows? Like, maybe it was, like, Freddy Krueger in part four, where, like, a dog pisses fire and he comes back to life. <laughs> which is something that literally happens, by the way. That's literally a thing. Um, we'll get to that oh, movie at the point, folks. I thought you were going to go with uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, where someone's too gay, so they had to be possessed by Freddy. <laughs> that, too. Which um, is just a joke. We we disprove that. It's not a very gay movie. <laughs> no. It's, it's, it, 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 yes. But yeah, that's the problem. Though. I think that first movie kind of just... And that's why it really, in the grand scheme of like the slasher like horror icons, it hasn't really like stood the test of time. Yeah. yeah. And why? And I think that, again, goes back to the remake in that like this probably was a very cheap property to pick up. Like Jordan Peele and his production thing, which I'm guessing is Monkey Paw. I would mm -hmm. imagine that's his production company. Yep, that's my, yeah, Monkey Paw. Which... Was there? I think they founded Monkey Paw, uh, Jordan Peele, and Keegan Michael Key in this during the second season of Key and Peele. It really, really upsets me that they introduced the teacup from Get Out into that production studio logo because oh, yeah. it was always just the actual monkey's paw at the end of Key and Peele episodes. Oh, yeah, and ever since Get Out came out, they have to put it stirring the teacup, which is fucking terrible to me. But we could do a whole episode on how angry I'm about Jordan Peele, which might be the second half of this episode. <laughs> Like we've said before, Jordan Peele gone Jordan Peele. Oh, yeah, like we said in the Henry Selleck series, how nervous I am for him, them working with Henry Selleck. Uh, Jordan, Jordan Peele is going to take that over. I hope not, though. Uh, are you looking at Candyman action figures? Is yes, that what I'm yes saying? I am. Okay. <laughs> if you can order your Candyman with my Coraline, uh, I'll allow it. <laughs> so it's, it's trying to play it both ways. I don't know. To, to Jeremy, Rachel, Babu Frick... He's excited. He's about very it. okay. He likes the, this line of questioning. He's dissenting opinion on this episode. Okay, okay. Is it, what did what did you get? Like, did what you, is the theme? What do you yeah, think the what, theme did is? You, did you get a, a thing that this movie was trying to say? Because I feel that this movie, the original, of course, was trying to say something, but I I didn't. It wasn't fully baked. Am I am I alone in that, or what did you guys? think? And before you speak, it definitely wasn't about the plight of the Native Americans. Ooh, no Calumet flower no. in this one. No, not at all, not at all. It may or may not have been about somewhere between 9 and 11 rings, but we can get to that. <laughs> Jeremy, what did, you, what did you think? I wanted to get 9-11 in there. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that anniversary's coming up. When we're recording this, that's only yes. a couple days away. Yes, absolutely. See, that's why we should watch... Okay, folks, off topic. Zack Snyder's Justice League on 9-11. Oh, God. The film that launched a billion-dollar blunder. Oh, my God. Into a building Should we watch Man of Steel on 9-11? Isn't that the appropriate It, it culminates with this. It Zach's like, Rob, why'd you say that? We're doing Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, and just Both Justice, Justice League. League. Both oh, Justice God, Leagues, a two-hour cut and a seven-hour God, you need, a no, you need a new bottle of vodka. At that point, Rob's that. like, you know what? I'm going to hijack an airplane <laughs> and truly commemorate this with all the copies of the move of Zack Snyder's DC. I said 9-11. We got off on tangent. I'm sorry. Jeremy, 
was there? Did you get a theme? Did you have an idea? Or, or am I am I am I wrong in thinking it was underbaked or anything like that? I feel like they tried to do to fit too many things in, and they couldn't decide what they wanted to do because. Okay. You know, they had that, you know, they had the theme of, you know, like, people, you know, being evil or whatever, and, mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, but then at the very, very end of the movie, they had this, like, weird lesson about, like, the guy cheating on his wife, and, like, his wife got... <laughs> oh, yeah, God! Did we forgot really about 20, 20-year-old grad students. I, I, you're right when you, you, you oh, saying Jesus. that they tried to jam too much stuff in there, and then you mentioning that, yes, we even have the third message of, like, losing your loved ones in the original movie. And, and in the last my, five minutes, in the last even yeah, in even in the last act, there's one of my notes is something like when when you know Virginia Madsen escapes the um, an insane asylum, very much like Tom Green escapes the therapist's office and Freddie got fingered. It's almost the exact same. It's shot almost the exact same way. She goes back to the apartment and she finds her husband now with the younger girl. And my note is, why does the movie have time for this? She's already lost everything. We know she's at the bottom. I don't get what they're going for that she's lost her final straw. She even says like. Trevor, you were all I had left. And that's going to push her to go to Candyman and, you know, give in to his whims. But I'm just like, what's the point of this? I mean, they could have cut out the whole young uh, young ingenue of the teacher and stuff like that. Which is given away in the first, like, what, well, 10 of course, minutes of the movie? Well, of course, yes. And, uh, and I think out of, out of all five of us here, because all five of us did watch the movie, Babu Frick <laughs> included, uh, Rachel was the most excited about this. I don't know, was Babu Frick excited? Oh, Babu Frick's got a thing for young girls. Okay, Babu Frick, we had no idea. But you seem to be very into this. Like, I remember we got to, you know, he's, the teacher's talking after class, and, you know, you got fat, fat slob, you got, like, kid who has no lines, you got uh, probably a guy with, like, Coke bottles for glasses, and then beautiful 20-year-old that wants to learn about the topic. (laughs) And you seem to be like, okay, I know, I know what's going on here. And the whole time, every time like Rachel's like twenty year old grad student, Rachel's like, and Rob's like, "Where's the fat kid?" I really <laughs> wanted the the twist to be that the professor was in love with the fat kid because he calls him like the cream of the crop for the class. And as a teacher myself, I, I think I've said this on the podcast before. All my friends, because they're so immature, when I start when I've been teaching now for like seven years, they're like, "Oh, you know, you ever you ever like uh, you got hot girls as your students? You know, you ever try and date him afterwards?" I'm like, "No." Because I know how fucking dumb they are. <laughs> I would rather date the fat guy that's the smart one, you know? <laughs> but it was a good... And I think you were very happy when it paid off at the end, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. The pink apartment. Just... Oh, the pink oh, apartment. That's... Okay, that adds another layer. Who put the paperclip up? Was it her paperclip or the teacher's paperclip? I didn't think about that. Okay. We gotta, we gotta, Bernard Rose, we gotta ask him, be like, who did the set design? Where's that paper clip? Who do we tweet to, Rob? <laughs> we tweet Jordan Peele. Maybe Jordan Peele will tweet answers. to Candyman. <laughs> so, yes, that, you're right, Jeremy. They jam so much in here. There's so much about personal loss, about, you know, glorifying monsters, the slasher genre. One of the things that I, I noticed or read about is that in the original short story from um, Clive Barker, it took place in London. And it was a lot about the, the British class system. And Bernard Rose was the one who, you know, bought the rights and adapted it into the class system, at least what I read before watching the movie, with the Chicago housing projects. I don't really know if I got a lot of, you know, like, class representation or racism or anything in that original movie. I mean, it was there, but I didn't think it was, like, a primary facet as much as it was in the second movie, of course. I don't know, did you guys pick up on any, any like, 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 uh... 
the haves and the have-nots of Chicago housing projects in the first one? Oh, no, that was... Yeah, it, it didn't really come through. And that would surprise me in that YouTube video you put on, Zach. They were saying something like, Candyman is there to kill when you, you strive outside of your class. And I'm like, Candyman just wants to be remembered in the first movie. Like, that's his whole goal, is to be immortal through storytelling. And so I don't know where this, this racial aspect came from, um, which may or may not be there. I'm not saying it's not there. You know, I'm not the end-all de facto representation of whether or not this was a, a, a black empowerment movie. But I didn't really get that. I got more of the, you know, how I do think, we live on through stories. I think that's what, obviously, Jordan Peele... Do you think that's what this, this, the, the cult monster. status has become of this movie? I that think they're it's, grasping I think, I think at the it's straws Night, of I think that? it's Nightmare on Elm Street too. It's a gay movie. It's just, uh, you know what, we found, this, we found the movie that we can latch on to. a good point. We, we have that very thin strand of yes. social message. We're latching on to and we're claiming it. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. For As much as we said, you know, Zach, Ben, and I, about how we read that it's you know, the, the homoerotic Nightmare on Elm Street, the homoerotic slasher movie, we said, well, no, not really. Like, almost things in the movie that we see contradict that idea. You make a great point by saying, yeah, as time goes on, you know, I mean, this movie, or the, the remake of Candyman must have started development in maybe, what, 2018 or something yeah. like that? That's 15, 16 years after the movie came out. That gives it enough time to percolate into this, this cult status with a message. Mm -hmm. And that message might not exist. Yeah. Which is which? I, I totally don't, believe. I don't see Bernard Rose sitting there being like, "Aha, I've done it." I think it's an interesting yeah. element to the film that was, which made it unique. The idea of like setting a slasher film in the projects, but oh, sure, absolutely, and it's a it makes it visually striking, especially yeah. And like I said, like, we, we should say like the, the true. Oh God, I kind of love the the one one of the few connections between the remake and the original is that we see the Sears Tower. Like yes, in the first film, there are yes. so many shots of the Sears Tower just in the background. It reminds me of American Pie 2 where we see Nadia and we see like the Twin Towers like, <laughs> specifically mad into the shot of like like the phone booth and it's just like, why? And like that's all we see in the first yes. one. Sears yes. Tower's every single shot. I every think you said while we were watching it, you're like, the Sears Tower is the third protagonist of this movie, you know? <laughs> then the other one is Medicine Cabinet. Uh, like our three yes. protagonists are Sears Tower, Virginia Madsen, Medicine Cabinets. In that order. <laughs> In that order. Because like, Medicine Cabinets are a focal point to this film. Yes, which I was actually surprised by. It's a plot by. point. It's the, a deep plot point. Before I um, watched this movie, I got a bee on me. Candyman's coming for me. Uh, Be careful. He's sung on your right hand, too. It's going to start, oh, it's gonna start shit. doing infection on your arm and your neck. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever get stung by a bee on your hand, it will not. It will literally grow up your entire body and you'll become a burn victim somehow. Yes. Yes. <laughs> These things equal burns. It gives you, like, you know, flesh-eating disease type of thing. Yes. Oh, now, when you say that, now I just want to do a sketch where, like, I get stung on that right hand by a, by a bee and then slowly it's like, who can take a sunrise? And I'm turning into the candy man from Willy Wonka. <laughs> so I'm glad you bring up the medicine cabinet thing, because before I watched this movie and I was doing my research, I, I found that, you know, a lot of people have said, oh, this movie seems to be, this is, this is the exact phrasing I found, seems to be inspired by the story or the actual true story, the killing of Ruthie Mae McCoy who was killed in her Chicago housing project apartment when someone actually broke into her apartment from behind the medicine cabinet. And I read that and I was like, that's fucking scary. Like, if you think of where people can come from in your house, I don't think you'd ever think behind the, the medicine, medicine cabinet. <laughs> and so I was like, that's really crazy. And I was going to be excited to be like, oh, let's talk about how that was the inspiration for this movie. I don't know who the hell was writing this. It does not seem to be an inspiration. The major plot point of the first one is that they come from behind the medicine cabinets. So I don't know where they were getting it from. But 
I have to give the original movie props for that as well. That's a really neat idea. Yeah. As far as horror goes, like, you know, Freddy is, he invades your dreams. Mm-hmm. Wildly novel concept back when it came out. I think Candyman should get some credit. Somebody breaking in through behind, from behind your medicine cabinet, but like, but regardless of supernatural or because of a flaw in your housing projects, it's a really neat idea. Yeah, but like that kind of also goes nowhere as well because like Candyman has nothing yeah. to do with that. It's just it's just her. It's a way, it's a plot device which is fine. I don't have to be a focal point, but like it's simply just a plot thread. For her to like find like a weird area where he camps out. Yes, yeah. His which, lair at the end. Which it's will. a lair, but he's also a supernatural being. So like, why does a supernatural being have a physical lair? Yeah, yeah. Uh, sure. Does Freddy have a lair in any of the movies? He does in New Nightmare, but that's a weird like. What is twi- that? Part twenty. That- <laughs> Seven. Oh, it took. It does it take till part twelve for Jason to have a lair? The underground tunnels. No, he has a lair. He has a lair before. He has then? a lair in part two. That's where he has the mother's. Oh. Like, remember from the game, Rob? Where he has his little like hut. That's based on part okay, two. Okay. Okay. But Jason's a physical being. Yes. Yes. He might have some weird supernatural implications, but he is physical. He's he's, he's grounded in yeah. the real world. You don't need a mirror to see him. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like the whole like when she like we have Virginia Madsen going through her entire shtick about like oh like like my apartment condo was like like a project's design that was like refurbished. And I'm just like oh that's an interesting idea. And we see her going through all this stuff. That's a neat concept. And yes. Then, like, the movie just throws that out because, like, she has, like, a meat hook and she's, mm-hmm. like, decapitating a dog. Absolutely. And she's Absolutely. like, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. The movie kind of goes, it's like the moment Tony Todd arrives, mm-hmm. the, the movie goes completely. It might be boring the first half, but yes. it's pretty streamlined. Second half, it's just like, okay, we're going, like, we're just zero to 60 now. Yes, which is something I always appreciate, but I. That's why I'm so I'm so more against this movie with the slow first half than I am with something like say Mandy or even something we haven't discussed on episode Pumpkinhead. I love the first half of Pumpkinhead because it very painstakingly and methodically describes why Pumpkinhead is there. Well, there's rules. Exactly. And I love that build-up. I love, I, I, I've said many times, the only reason Mandy's a good movie and the second half works is because the first half is so character-driven and so methodical. And Linus Roche does a great job acting in his cult leader status, you know? So... I, Can we I, say real quick that like, okay. like I, I, this is a breaking just real quick? Rate, we ex- I, I never ex- do this to Zach. Why are you doing this? <laughs> we I experimented the late movie late yes, night movie model on yes. Rachel when it came to Mandy. Was that our first Monstober or second Monstober? Oh, first Monstober. First Monstober. Yeah, that was twenty eighteen, okay. man. That just came out. Like that was like that was like the like, the most recent film we ever talked about. Yes. Yes. And uh I showed Rachel Mandy with Nicolas Cage. And Rachel, please describe in two sentences, three if you must, your opinions on Mandy. I didn't like <laughs> oh. What was your attitude when the movie was over? As you like to say, I got up and left. <laughs> <laughs> Not just got up and left the room, like got up and left the house. <laughs> like a literal walkout. Nice, nice. <laughs> yes, folks, late night movies are a very potent weapon. They must use with great responsibility. Jeez. Mandy is so good. <laughs> I've seen Mandy like four or five times. <laughs> I've seen the first half a lot more than I should admit, you know? That first half is so good. Um, but no, you're, you're right. I think that's what I wanted. That dynamic of slow, methodical establishment in the first half and then going off the rails, I'm fine with. Becoming something else in the second half, I'm totally fine with. But Candyman 1992 fell short in that respect because I can see the, the connective tissue because, of course, the first half ends in the original Candyman. I would consider the first half ending when the regular guy with the hook gets put away in jail. 
and you know, she's like, oh, we caught Candyman type of thing. And then it, Candyman Tony Todd comes in and says, like, oh, you disbelieved me. You have my congregation losing faith. Like, people are losing faith in this urban legend. So the connective tissue is there. I just wish it wasn't 40 it's, it's fucking minutes. It's muzzled, though. That's what I'm like. Because that's the thing. Like, we have, like, at that point, if you don't know the thing about it, imagine watching this for the first time in 1992. Mm -hmm. You have no idea, like, this is supposed to be, like, some weird supernatural slasher villain. Yeah. You don't know what to make of this movie. Sure. Because very, it's very grounded in reality. There's some stuff about lore. There's paintings on the wall. And then 45 minutes in, it takes a hard left turn into just supernatural bill. Yes. And it's like, oh, like, this is jarring. Oh, oh 100%. It's, it's very jarring in that Because in that first scene where Candyman shows up, which is a wonderful entrance for Tony Todd, Virginia Madsen does the hypnotized look and, and the hypnotized feeling where she's like crying and saying, I need to go, but she's totally incapacitated. She's clearly like hypnotized or entranced is the best way to put it, it's jarring. You're like, where the hell did this yeah. come from? We, we haven't really established Candyman can control people or anything like that. that. And I think that's the thing that's so frustrating because like, you don't know. Because at one point we yes. mentioned she gets like, a beautiful, a beautiful shiner. Like, it's just like <laughs> oh, delicious. It's like just like... Oh, it's like eating yeah. her face. Yep. Her and eyes like down your Oh, yeah. Like, what is the gorier parts it's of the movie? It is worse than Stallone and Rocky, who's like, slit it. <laughs> just slit it open so I can see. It's worse than that. Yeah, and yeah. It's like, like all of us, even Rob, who's like one of the most jaded, cynical people, is just like, and then like the very next day, there's like a minimal amount of bruising. Like that's yeah. it. Like it's yeah. completely like healed. There's some like discoloration. And then like I can, I can then get 48 it. hours later, exactly. it's healed. She's like, oh, look, I'm fine. I can get if the movie's trying to say, oh, this is how we're going to show the passage of time. No, no, time no, 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 no. You need more. You need more because it's literally like the, nothing, nothing happens in between. They don't even show the stupid like. The sun, time lapse of the sun rising and setting, you know? It's just like, well, she healed. We know wounds take time to heal. And Even Friday like, the 13th gave us, six, gave us a six weeks later, like, time yes, card. Yes, yes, absolutely. Even Wanted gave us that weird milky liquid to heal them faster, yeah. you know? <laughs> Virginia Madsen dunked her head in that, I think. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's so jarring, and that's where the movie picks up. And that's where it gets so weird and all over the place that I'm starting to be like, okay, I can latch on to this. I'm entertained, at least, you know? The second movie, just to compare it to that, I never felt that way. I never movie, felt entertained, really, by the second, second movie. The second movie is too... It's, it's doing the Jordan Peele thing that we've talked yeah, about. Yeah. It's called This is a Social Message, first and foremost, mm -hmm. and entertainment comes second. We are here to educate you on what we feel is right, and yes. entertainment comes second. Yeah, like we mentioned, the, 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 the screen cuts to black and flashes gentrification for five minutes. It was very strange. But even, I'm with you there, Zach, but even beside that, with the things like The Twilight Zone, which, Zach, you've only seen one or two episodes. The yes, the greatest uh, piece of television. Oh, television yes, all, uh, all men are rapists, of course. Yes, they are. Um, sorry, Rachel, all men are rapists. There's no way about it. <laughs> Spoiler uh, alert. It, it doesn't matter if a meteor fell from the sky. All men just are going to rape. It, it just happens. Rape women, rape men, rape animals, doesn't matter. All men are rapists. <laughs> that, that's literally the message of one of The Twilight Zone episodes. The it's just very a, offensive. The meteor is just a scapegoat. Uh, it's very offensive to me as a man. <laughs> I like to think I'm not a rapist. <laughs> but I, I got the sense that that's what this was. It was like a bad episode of The Twilight Zone. And in the sense that I feel that they had visuals first and then wrote the story around it. It's the trailer moments first and then they wrote the story around it. Like I'm thinking of the first kill in the 2021 movie, which is the two people at the art gallery. 
Oh God. Um, and and we get the scene which was in the trailer oh where the the dude who runs the art gallery is trying to get out of the door and Candyman who we can't see because we're not viewing him through a reflective you know lens or anything he's just picked up by nothing and you know we see him basically like holding on to the door like he's being blown away by a twister or something like that and I feel that they had those visuals first and they were like this is scary right like this is what horror fans want and they wrote everything around that in a very shallow watered down way. And that's my problem with modern Jordan Peele. Like, don't get me wrong, Get Out is, is good. Us, U.S., as it should be called, is a really good movie if you know how to understand it, which most people seem to not understand it, because I'm the only one who's ever had the take that it's about, you know, the Iran-Contra stuff. <laughs> but I feel like Jordan Peele and Monkey Paul have gotten into this rut of saying, well, what would look scary? How do we incorporate that into something? And you're right, Zach, by saying, yeah, maybe Candyman ran down the pipeline of time and became this social justice movie, or about, you know, the, the haves and the have-nots, and they said, well, okay, great, here's just something we can buy for cheap. Let's jam in these ideas for weird visuals we've had. You know what I'm saying? I, I, but again, you know more about Jordan Peele than I do. Like, that's the thing. This just feels like something. Because, again, like, the joke was that, like, Jordan Peele should keep cashing that blank check until, like, it bounces. He, yes. Like, he's on, yes. he's on the path of Shyamalan right now. Like, he's mm. on that path. He's not... He's made, his, he's made his sixth sense. And he's, like, oh. again, he has a couple. Like, he has an Unbreakable, which is like us. Uh, yeah, he'll yeah. Have, he'll have a sign. So he'll have, like, one more good one. People are like, yeah, we'll give him the benefit oh, of the doubt. That's a great and comparison. And we're on the verge. We're on the precipice of the village. Ooh. Where everyone's going to take a step back and be like, oh, maybe we kind of, like... Like, it's like Shyamalan. Shyamalan just had, what, old come out? Yeah. So, like, he, like, he has an Oscar. He'll work forever. But it's yeah, the yeah. idea that, like, he will not have the Time Magazine thing that Shyamalan did. It's like the next Spielberg. Exactly. He's not going to have... Yeah. He's coming really close to just cashing that check too many times just because he figures, I'm Jordan Peele. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, we're on the verge of the village where it's going to make money, but everyone's going to take a step back. And mm -hmm. then we're, we're, like, maybe six years away from, like, Lady in the Water. Okay, okay. Then he'll make then he'll That's make the a last, really then he'll make the last take. year. And then they'll throw him a property that he'll feel is safe to like rebound with and that will crash and fail. And then he'll make After Earth with Will Smith. <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna make after after earth with Jaden and his son yeah, yeah absolutely okay quick tangent before we get back to Jordan Peele because I do want to talk about the Jordan Peele of, this, of the remake of the 2021 Candyman old I don't know if any of you guys have seen it uh, you Rachel see no, but Rachel wants okay. That's what Rachel wants. Yeah, I've never been a Shyamalan fan, so I didn't have any interest at all. But of course, I, I read into it. You know, when it came out, I read the plot synopsis because I wanted to know what the twist was because it's M Night Shyamalan. Um, the premise of the movie, for anyone that doesn't know, is that you know this this like vacationing family and groups of people they end up on this beach that they can't escape and they age very rapidly. So in the one sentence high concept premise, it's like, what if people were on a beach that makes them old? My thought is, doesn't every beach make you old? Son. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, what is, it's like, it's like, and my Shyamalan's like, no, 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 old, but faster. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I, I, I was always been baffled by, by that. I think the last Shyamalan movie I saw was Split, and I didn't like it because I really don't like Shyamalan's directing style. The last Shyamalan movie I genuinely enjoyed was probably Signs. Mm, I haven't the seen Village Signs is fine. in so long. The Village is passable if you kind of ignore just the hype that's around I haven't seen The Village in so long. The Village is goofy either. fun. I don't know if I saw the entirety of The Village. I've seen the entirety of The Happening. Oh, that's we'll, we'll have to cover that one day. That's that's a movie and a half what? right there. No! <laughs> we, if we don't cover all of The Happening, we just need to cover the scene where Spencer Breslin gets a shotgun blast to the face. Rob's been fascinated with that ever since I knew him. Love Before that, that movie was even out, Rob was talking Spencer about that. Spencer Breslin is so annoying and he gets blasted in the face with a shotgun in that movie by like 
Betty Buckley or something, you know? It's, very <laughs> it's the that, weirdest thing. for Jordan Peele to get to that point. Yes, crazy. yes. But yeah, Jordan Peele. I, I like Jordan Peele. I, I've lost, I guess, the, the, the love I've had for him, if, and whether it be Key and Peele or just Jordan Peele, kind of maybe the bloom is off the rose when we did our Key and Peele episode in the Sketch Comedy Fort Month, where something I really loved, Key and Peele, the show, when it was on, and them on Mad TV, we rewatched it and we were like... Oh no! I never will get. I was never particularly fun. outside. Yeah, of the you were. Yeah, outside the Terry's, there's no redeemable aspect. Well, yes, show, that one, the, one of the funniest lines in all of human history is whoever it was saying to that guy, "Can we switch seats? Why?" Because that's the combat seat Jonathan Livingston Seagull. It's the funniest <laughs> fucking thing I've ever heard on TV. I swear to God. <laughs> Putting combat and Jonathan Livingston Seagull in the same sentence is the wildest idea. We're and gonna Drax. Yeah. We're gonna Drax them scrounge. <laughs> Box cutter, 3.5 inches, perfectly legal. <laughs> I might just put that entire sketch in right here because I love it so much. But. You who? I got an idea. Feel free to say no. But can we switch seats? I will not take no for an answer. Why? That's the combat seat, Jonathan Livingston Seagull. If you're going to be in the combat seat, then you got to be willing to blast up on some carries. Because with great power comes great responsibility. Okay, I just, I just wanted some leg room. Um... Okay, Max Legroom, you get yours. Meanwhile, I'm gonna go Hayden Pantanieri on some Terry's, especially when they get froggy. Ribbit, ribbit. But I mean, like, Get Out, it's good. I like Us better, but I have a weird take. clever. I cl- yeah, yeah, get well, Out is, is a high concept film. I think it's clever until you rewatch it. Like, I disliked it a lot more when I rewatched it. It's because, a highly pretentious film. Yes. When you dig into when it. I, when I first saw Get Out, and I guess we should ask, uh, Jeremy, Rachel, Babu? Okay, no, 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 <laughs> Have you guys seen Get Out? Yes. Have you seen Get Out? No. Okay, Jeremy, Jeremy, you should check it out. It's a, it's a worthwhile movie because it's a very well-made movie. And it's good. The first time I watched it, I remember being like, wow, like Jordan Peele's doing something different. He's always been the comedy guy to me. He's had those racial things, but he's putting it in this different lens of horror. I, I, I really seriously enjoyed it. When I rewatched it, I started picking up on things where I'm like, this is too on the nose, which I don't know if a lot of people know. Like 2017? I think 2017, yeah. yeah. And the, because, like, once you know what the movie's doing, it kind of almost all falls apart. Like, one of the things that I've pointed out to people is that when you watch Get Out again, once you know what the premise is, um, you know, Daniel Kaluuya and the girl get to... Brian Williams' daughter. Sure, yeah. They, they get to the house, and they're like... the Bradley Whitford, the dad, is giving them the tour, and, and Daniel Kaluuya, like, goes, looks at a door, and it's slightly ajar, and he's like, oh, what's, what's in through that door? And Bradley Whitford closes it really quick and says, oh, that's just the basement. Don't go down there. It's full of black mold. And that's the premise of the movie. Black people are molds for white people. And I'm like, oh, Jordan Peele, you're not as clever as I thought you were. And that was really the start of the snowball where I'm like, oh, maybe... That line probably won him an Oscar. I hope you're aware exactly. of that. Exactly. And that's that. the thing where I'm like, maybe he's not as, as subtle as I thought he was type of Remember, thing. Remember, but he's also... Part, again, half of it's like playing the, playing the role you want to be at. Yes. And like, yes. I guess the people who matter in his circles love that sort of stuff. Oh, God. And yeah. so guess what? That Yeah, he probably won an Oscar just for that line. You make a really interesting comparison 
comparison, Zach. I never thought of him as like another Shyamalan, but that's kind of where I he's going he down, I, oh, yeah. and that's a really interesting comparison. They built him up as the the savior of Hollywood, yes. and he's not he's not that. Do you think Jordan Peele is realizing this, and that's why he's putting no. all his chips in the production stuff and not immediately directing yeah, another movie? He's trying to diversify, but I think it's going to catch up to him eventually because they keep using his name for all this. Well, keep, of course, they keep slapping his name on everything. It's the yeah, and that's why like he can. It goes back to any sort of major powerhouse name. I'm not sure if Rob remembers there was James Cameron's Sanctum 3D that like. Oh, I thought you were gonna say Alita. Yeah, that's another true. good example. Alita, at least the people who they want to like that, like that. Okay, they, they want a four quadrant film and it backfired. Oh, maybe them. a better example is Mortal Engines. People thinking Peter Jackson directed yes. Mortal Engines. Okay. It's using somebody else's cachet to get something exactly. done. Exactly, and I think that's why another one of the many reasons why like Peter Jackson's gone into hiding. Yes, of course. It's like it's just like yeah. Jordan, okay. Peele, Jordan Peele, again, he, he has too much. He does have power all over this stuff. They want him to be the next Rod Serling. You know what that means in Hollywood to be the next Rod Serling? Yeah. Good lord. They're, they've never tried that since then. No one's been positioned as the next Rod Serling. And they, they did that with him and it backfired. I know that's the one the one thing we disagreed on hardcore. I actually really like Jordan Peele as the narrator in the Twilight Zone I, episodes. Well, I, well, we I remember when we that. talked about it, I said this to Zach and I was like, I really I'm like, I kinda dig Jordan Peele doing the Rod Serling introductions. And Zach was like, Nope, I can't take him seriously. I just hear him saying Drax then slounced. <laughs> but like that's the thing though about like Jordan Peele though, is that like he wants to be taken as this arbiter of social justice. And then, like, the same year that he's lecturing everybody in us, U.S., he's also the voice of Bunny yeah, in Toy Story 4. Yeah. And I'm like, you can't have your cake and eat it, too. Yeah, like, and so that's where they're doing the shtick from Key and Peele. And yeah. they are funny. Like, I, I told you, like, they are literally the best part of that whole movie. And if, ever, if our audience goes back and listens to our Key and Peele episode, I remember we got to an episode where they do the valets doing the um, the love of a star. Like, that was their sketch, is that Key and Peele would be valets. They'd have downtime. They'd talk about an actor, and they'd go crazy over him. And I'm like, yeah, Zach, this is something they do like maybe ten times on the show. And Zach's like, oh no, that's what they do in the Toy Story 4 trailer. And you sound so disappointed. Like, that was the best. Like, that's the reason why I wanted to see Toy Story. Like, I think I told you my history of Toy Story franchise. Yeah. Like, first one, monumental thing. Again, Rachel can tell you from the yard set, there's so much Toy Story crap. Um, Toy Story 2, kind of a letdown, has its moments. Toy Story 3 is an abomination. Like, it's almost Dr. Sleep level frustrating for me. Oh, I haven't almost. seen that since I saw it in theaters Al with my mom. Yeah. Almost. And then Toy Story 4 comes out. Like, in the preview, I mean, I could, like Rob said, it's great. It's them as Ducky and Bunny just yelling at Buzz Lightyear. I'm mm -hmm. like, this is great. Like, I love the idea of someone, like, like yes. satirizing Toy Story. And then, like, we did... That was the same year, because that was, what, 2019? So it probably was the exact same time we did the sketch comedy Fort Month. Yep, yep. And it was the idea of, like, wow... And then it's like, oh, 2019, you have Toy Story. And then you look at the same time for Jordan Peele's 2019, you have us, where mm -hmm. he's lecturing people on the idea of, like, the homeless. And I'm just like... It's mean, debatable, like, but I'm okay. Like, okay whatever. For the normies <laughs> out there, not Rob World. There, I, think, I think more of that movie is predicated on that picture That's of funny. Dick Cheney shaking hands with Saddam Hussein. But that okay. That, that too, but for the normies <laughs> in the audience that appreciate that movie. Nobody. Like, everybody I've tried to explain my take on us, everybody's like... You're wrong. Okay, Rob. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to walk away now. <laughs> but that's the thing, though. Like, Jordan Peele, you can't have your cake and eat it, too. You yes. can't lecture yes. us and then also be... It's the it's it's the John Stewart thing from the day. Is that, like, John Stewart take, he could basically sits there, takes off the rubber nose, lectures the audience, and when you start to critique him on his ideas, puts it back on, he goes, I'm just a clown. Why are you exactly. arguing with me? Yep. And it's like, no. That's, a good, that's you, another good comparison. Again, yeah. it, it's... It, 
that's the thing that frustrates me about Jordan Peele. You cannot say you're an entertainer and then when you lecture us and you start getting critiqued on that, say, I'm just a clown. Why are you arguing with me? I 100% agree. Absolutely. And it's like, no. And that's why he frustrates me. Because yes. that's what this yes. whole that's what this whole 2021 movie was, was that just, God, the last three minutes of the movie is just, good Lord. You have, like, police that are just, like, being massacred. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't care about that. It's like, it's so ham-fisted. Yep. It's yep. literally just police being massacred. And it's funny how that didn't even become a con. At this point, Jordan Peele has cashed in so much of his, like, clout. They didn't even blip on anybody's radar. Yeah. There was no, like, do you, God, what was that movie called where, like, they were hunting conservative people? And it got, like, oh, banned for, like, a yeah. year. Yeah. I don't remember the name of it, it, but, yeah. it came out, like, during the pandemic, and it just got, like, thrown away in the <laughs> yeah. Like, it's that same thing. Like, there was, nobody cared. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just like think about it. this movie came out a couple weeks ago. I didn't even know that. I'm like I'm watching. I'm like, oh my god, why wasn't this a controversy? Yeah, Nobody yeah. cares. Exactly. Everybody knows his shtick at this point. They're kind of just letting him. They're like, okay, let Jordan Peele do his thing. Yep. It's like he's happy as long as the check clears. Everybody's happy. Yeah. So I had to look this up because I, I was I was gonna say, but I want to check myself that um, he's like I mentioned. Do we think he's you know biding his time and trying not to become a Shyamalan by just throwing in his production credits? I thought. The next thing that he on the do- had on the docket was producing and writing Wendell and Wild, which it's is nope. the upcoming nope. uh, Henry Selleck movie. But yes, Zach is right. I didn't. I did not know about this. No, he's writing, directing, and producing Nope. So his third film is just called Nope. I don't know what it's about. Zach has the poster up. It's inconceivable <laughs> whether I'm looking at it straight up on my computer or upside down on his phone. Well, it's Daniel Kaluuya, and Daniel Kaluuya is He's become, bringing him back. Okay. Well, but you also, too, look at Daniel Kaluuya's career. He's now, he's also a social justice actor. Like, well, Black yes. Panther, what was it, a meme uh, print, whoever that was, where they shoot a cop and they uh, become heroes. Judas and the Black Messiah, that he was too. in from was, last year. What was the other one that he did where it's him and, like, like, it's like Bonnie and Clyde, but they like shooting cops? Oh, I know what you mean. I've heard I don't of that remember one. what it is, but yeah. That's a really weird name. I like saying it. It's a goofy title that's fun to repeat. Uh, um, yeah, that's, that always gets us into theaters. <laughs> Queen and Slim. I like Queen that. and Slim. Okay, that's okay, okay. Um, yes. He also was in Sicario. We both, he, he, was, was, he was good he in was, that. Yeah. And he became, He's great in my favorite episode, maybe not my favorite, maybe my second or third favorite episode of the original Black Mirror. Uh, I think it's 10 million credits. He's he's the main actor in that. He's fantastic he's, in that but episode. That's, but that's the thing even... And he's on a treadmill for 70% of it, you know? <laughs> but even in Black Panther, did you ever see that? Nope, never in seen Black, Black Panther. Panther. Yes, he... I'm sorry, I'm a racist. Okay, I've never yes, seen Black Panther. <laughs> have you seen The Lion King? Uh, the original, yeah. Yes, then you have seen Black Panther. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's the exact same movie. Just have you Black... seen Emperor's New Groove? Then you've seen Thor Ragnarok. I, I'm going to start using that. That's a very succinct way for me to get that across now. <laughs> but that's the thing. Even in Black Panther, he's the one who, like, he's part of, like, I don't know, I haven't seen that movie since theaters. Like, the, tri- the, the oh, God, the senior council. And he's the one that sells out Black Panther to Michael B. Jordan. Okay. He's, like, okay. the linchpin. And he's, like, Michael B. Jordan just comes in. He's, like, murder the world. And the rest of the town, like, the council's, like, How's that good for us as a country? Murder the world. And they're like, and they're like, and they're like okay, Daniel Kaluuya, it's your decision. And he's like, he looks. Murder the world it is. And that's what it is. And he, like, okay. he literally does not show up at the end of the movie. Like he oh. His character for the last third act where it just comes to Marvel, just like the blue beam in the sky, punching people in the face sure. for 30 minutes. He's sure. not even involved with that. Like he's not, like, he doesn't show up at all again in any of the Marvel films. Okay, okay. Like he's, he's a linchpin in that movie. Has no role after that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that, I mean, that also a, kind of screams Shyamalan to me if, if Jordan Peele's going to have his you know stable of actors and pull from them. Yeah. Not that that's unique to Shyamalan. 
Shyamalan. That's everybody, but you know, I mean, he this might is be going, Bobby De Niro. Exactly, exactly. But that's this is Bryce Dallas Howard, you know, for um, Lady in the Water and stuff like that. That's hey, a- honestly, if Jordan Peele remade Lady in the Water, I'd go see it. Okay, because I saw Lady in the Water in theaters. Did you? Oh yeah. Yeah, my mom yeah. and I saw them in theaters, and I remember. Well, but wait, both of us being like. What the fuck just happened to us, you know? But Rob, was it the Da Vinci Code? It was not the Da Vinci Code. That was the same summer, though. And I have to admit, zero out of ten rings in Lady of the Water. <laughs> <laughs> just as a quick tangent, I have to ask, because Jeremy, we never talk about Marvel movies. Do you do you know the last, in chronological order, the last Marvel movie you saw? Because he was not there for Avengers Endgame. No, he, he, he gracefully tapped yeah. out. He saw like, yes. like the hordes of people. He's like, I, like he went through after. And you yeah, He's like, Jeremy, I have a ticket. You come with me. He's like, no, I'm good. Do you, like, have, have, what's, have, what's, do you know what the last Marvel movie you saw was? In just, I guess Electra. I'm pretty sure Electra's directed by uh, the, one of the guys who did the the first X Files movie too. It's a really weird filmography. Do you have any idea of the last Marvel? I think movie it was saw? Infinity War. Okay, like, so you I saw never that one. bothered with it. Okay, yeah. okay. You think, God, okay. Jeremy really was like, I'm done. Was, no, I wish we had Jeremy and I friends. I wish we had the better <laughs> things to talk about. I wish we had not had time. Like, I'm like, Jeremy, you want to come with us? I have an extra ticket. He's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, Jordan Peele's kind of crazy. I guess, you know... Kind of? Uh, very crazy. Um, he's... He... Key and Peele are responsible for some of what I think is some of the best sketch comedy ever in Mad TV. There are some good sketches on Key and Peele, but like I said, we revisited that, and it was... It didn't sit well with me with the how racial it got, which you can do right. They always started with the racial aspect because that's where they grew up and that's what they knew. And, and you can make good racial comedy. But I know Zach and I complained a lot in that Key and Peel episode where you literally have the sketch where Keegan Michael Key is in whiteface as a cop. And like, oh and like, you know, a black person is doing anything and he's ready to gun them down. And then the joke of the sketch is that a white guy comes out and he literally has like two AK-47s and a bazooka. And he's like, this is a dangerous area, sir. Move along. And it's like, can you get any more on the nose? Like, this is the easiest joke to write. I don't know. Did, have you, do you know anything about Jordan Peele, uh, Jeremy? I feel like there's something we haven't talked about a lot, you know, with uh, whether it be Key and Peele, sketch comedy, or The Twilight Zone, other than me complaining to you about it, which I do to everybody. <laughs> Eh, I've seen a few sketches, but very little. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Uh, J- Rachel, do you have any history with uh, just, Jordan? Just okay. get out. Just get out? Okay, okay. Did you like Get Out? It was okay. Okay, okay, right on. Can I say real quick, I looked up the director of Electra and Rob is right. His name is Rob Bowman. Rob Bowman! And the it. last studio film he ever worked on was Electra. Did he do which? Did he do Fight the Future for the X-Files or The, uh, the New did, Beginning? He did, no. He did the uh, two, 98 movie. The 98 movie, okay. Um, he directed 34 episodes of the actual yes. series. Yes, um, yes. A did, few of those were good. <laughs> he also did Reign of Fire, the dragon, like Matthew McConaughey, Christian Bale. Oh, movie. no. I saw that in theaters. Oh, no. I did not want to see Rob that. Rob Bowman. Maybe we do that. We do the Rob Bowman series Jesus. one day. And uh, imagine directing back to back Rain of Fire and Electra. Like, is that like a one two punch? Just kill a cr- like he still does. Like he's a TV director now. Yeah, he's done yeah. like he's done Castle. I think he did. One, did he do one of the X Files reboot season ten or eleven? No. No. Okay. He, I thought they pulled. They after, might have pulled someone else back. For that. I, I yeah. He did not. He was. He's not. Again, he might be a producer. Maybe. Sure. Um, sure. Okay. No. Okay. He's not even a producer. Jeez. Yeah, Jordan Peele. Oh, wait, maybe. Wait. Oh, no. Oh. No, 89 episodes. I love this live research. <laughs> no, 95, 2000. Nope. He was never involved in any of the reboots. Okay, okay. How many, Rob, how many reboots is the X-Files? Um, how many movies have they been? They've tried to revive this. How well, many two, times? Two, well, well, original series goes through season five. Mm-hmm. 
uh, the creators wanted to turn it into an anthology series of films, and they don't want to do the TV show anymore, so they make the first movie. Fox says, oh, you can go fuck yourself, you're under contract, you're going to make more of this TV show. Turns into nine seasons, eight seasons, I think. They reboot it with another movie, which leads to the ninth season. That doesn't do well. Years go by, and then they do the tenth and the eleventh season. I'm pretty sure that's the that's thing. The so what's only, that, four reboots or five reboots? That's the show that there's not enough of an audience to carry over the finish line, yet it keeps getting, like, another, like this gets, it's like a cat. It's got, it's got me and Matt. And me and Matt love the X-Files. We, we'll watch no matter what they put out, but it's the only, we're the, they're the only two people in existence. <laughs> I'm glad, actually, you bring up X-Files, because I wanted, I'm glad you reminded me of this. Virginia Madsen in the original Candyman gave me some Gillian Anderson vibes. Oh, yeah. Definitely looked hair. like looked well, it's like the 90s. It's the nineties. I mean, so what are you saying? Every white woman what? looked the same in the nineties. That much. Jordan Peele got this one thing right about his white woman. He might make the point. Like, like who's her friend uh, Bernadette is like walking around saying like people are gonna think we're cops. I'm like, this looks like early nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All yeah. I was getting at some point, like, Jerry Orbach just kind of like walks like behind them like at the college campus. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus, what's happening? <laughs> Oh, now, now I'm loving the, the end of a cold open of old school Law & Order where they, they find the dead body, you know, slashed to bits, and there's a little bit of candy by the body, and Jerry Orbach goes, looks like the candy man was here, and it cuts to credits. That, that probably is an episode of Law & Order, to be honest. <laughs> At some point in the thousands of episodes yes. that has run. So, Jordan Peele, I mean, we're going to do Wendell & Wilde. I don't know if you'll be around, but we have to do it when it comes out because it's a new Henry Selleck movie, so we have to... Like, if Martin Brest ever made a new movie, we would have to cover it, well, you know? Well, that would take, like, a cataclysm for that to happen. There'd be fissures in the earth if that were to happen. Okay, how about this? Maybe uh, what I'm about to say, you know it's more likely than Martin Brest making a new movie. Oh, God. Paul Bartel making a new movie, and he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's more likely than Martin Brest coming out from whatever hole he's under because he's literally put himself in exile. So, Jordan Peele, we're going to follow his career with great interest... Do you like my Star Wars quote right there, Zach? Okay, thank you. Um, I, I found something in my research, speaking of the original and, you know, the, the whole casting of it. I don't know if you saw this too, Zach. One of the early choices to play Candyman was Eddie Murphy. In the 90s? In the 90s. No way done that. Oh, of course that he wouldn't have done it. So I did some digging when I read this, and it was confirmed. It started, it's probably an IMDb trivia effect, but it, I was able to find a lot of corroboration for it. I, I went through his filmography just to see where this would be. Um, this would have been after Coming to America and Harlem Nights, which was his direct, directorial debut, maybe, I think. Um, and when he got cast, if Eddie Murphy did get cast, or when they were going through the casting process, it would have been when he was working on another 48 Hours. And I totally agree with you. There's no way Eddie Murphy would have done this. My question, though, with what we said earlier, do you think if Eddie Murphy had taken the role as Candyman, we would have gotten the switch from almost criminally sparingly to Candyman's the full frontal force of the movie? Oh, definitely. Of course. Just what do we think about that? Eddie Murphy as Candyman, as a slasher villain. I, I, I kind of want to remove remember, it from to, this to, movie, to, just to as a villain. answer that question, do you remember back when we were in high school, and Jeremy, I'm not sure how much Jeremy was plugged into this, remember when we were talking about, like, in 2009, about like, the rumors going around that Christopher Nolan wanted him to be, like, the Riddler, and, like, the, in, like, the detective oh, third yeah. Batman, like, movie? And we're just like, Jesus, we're I, like, man, I remember thinking that was more because they wanted to keep the comedian as the Riddler trope alive, mm -hmm. not so much as... Anybody thinking Eddie Murphy could do it well? I don't know. That was also right after he, what, got nominated for an Oscar? 
for a dream girls yes that's right so that's Eddie right Murphy okay because like, like he was trying to like rebound his career yeah that was his like failed rebound yeah. i think uh, yeah. dolomite is my name get him some attention but i don't think he's rebound well, he tried tower high remember tower high yeah but he, fo- he even followed up dolomite is my name with fucking coming to america and nobody wanted that, you know. But guess what? Those it goes back to Friday the Thirteenth. We talked about it's yeah. the idea. Just like it's 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 called it's a familiar face. Somebody clicked on that. Mm-hmm. As we've said on Cinemas before, many people they look for dusty properties and they look for the ones that they can find a way to blow off the dust without getting it in your eyes. And that's what happens with this stuff. They they pick it up and it's nonsense. I just love that thought experiment of. Could you imagine seeing what we saw in the original Candyman as Eddie Murphy? Could you imagine <laughs> that scene where he's floating over Virginia Madsen saying, like, come with me. I think it'd be good, though. <laughs> come with me. <laughs> like, doing the stupid Eddie Murphy laugh. I, I think it could work, though. I think, I, in all honesty, that movie would be better than what we just watched at the 2020. Oh, you're, you're right about that. There's no universe where an Eddie Murphy as Candyman is somehow worse than what we just watched. Alternate timeline theory. Do you think if Eddie Murphy is Candyman in the early 90s, we do or don't get Norbit? Putting Zach on the spot right here. Oh, yeah. I think so. You, I think so. you still get Norbit? I think Norbit's one of those. You like, think Norbit's like an inevitability? I, I think it's a nexus point. You think like all, all the threads of the universe <laughs> come together in Norbit existing? Okay. that's You're probably right. That movie is a cataclysm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I just had to throw that out there because that was I, – I, I heard – I read that and I was like, wow, that would be a wild thing. Um, Can we just real quick? Because I want to talk a little bit more about the 2021 movie. Yes. I think we're at, what, like 90 minutes of recording? Um, I, I mean, I see a four somewhere on that. So <laughs> <laughs> can't be that far in. I see three bars of battery. That's what I'm looking at. <laughs> I want to talk about the very end of the film. Yes. Virginia Madsen is dead. Um, she is a cue ball. Like, like she's like has no hair left because her hair literally mm-hmm. catches on fire. Which mm-hmm. I think we all went like, oh god. Yeah. Um, yeah. She gets buried. And at the bear at the funeral, we have a priest. Mm-hmm. We have the uh, deadbeat husband. We have a twenty-year-old grad student, <laughs> and we have the college professor. Yep. That, yep. What does he say to her? Or, or, or no, what does she say to him? She, early in the film. She, that she's like competing. He apparently he's some sociology professor that has studied urban legends and stuff like that. Which of course, what Virginia Madsen and Bernard. No, it's not Bernard. Is it Bernard? Okay, I'm confusing the movies now. Uh, they're, they're working on this, a similar study, and Virginia Madsen says, we're going to bury you. And in academic terms, that means, you know, nobody's going to remember you, they're going to remember our studies. And at the end of the movie, he's there at her funeral, and I remember saying in the they're recording... They're lowering the casket down. Yes, I really wish he would have been like, looks like I'm burying you! And a smash cut in the credits or something like that. But instead, the entire project show up to thank yeah. her for saving the baby and, they and take stuff like the, that. Uh, the hook and they toss it like on top, comically on top of the casket. Very strange choice to give her the hook. Like, the hook is not only not her weapon, it becomes her weapon of desperation at the end of the movie, which is kind of like her desperation is like a flaming like timber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like, if anything, yeah. that should have been the thing I was taught. And is it like the DA bust- or the cop there at the funeral too, or something? The defense attorney. The, yeah, the DA. The DA is there. It's just like a baby in there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for saving my baby. It will be with you forever. <laughs> and then you just see the dirt go down. You know? <laughs> but like, you have that smash cut to a Who song. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you have that, which is just kind of like it's jarring. And then this is where we transition into, like, the deadbeat, like, hu- uh, husband mm-hmm. with a 20-year-old grad student. He's, like, in the bathroom, which is, like, what? Pit, like, almost like, what, a cobalt blue painted? Yes, yes. Juxtaposed to the Pepto-Bismol pink oh, yeah. of the rest of the house. Pepto-Bismol's literally the color. Yes. Like, Zach is not exaggerating. It's the color. Somebody, somebody Pe- went to the hardware store with the Pepto-Bismol balls, like, I want this. <laughs> 
They're like, I don't want anyone to ever be hungry in my house ever again. Well, I think we should clarify because we have first, maybe not first hand, but we have, we have inside knowledge on this. Someone took the Pepto-Bismol to the paint store and said, can you make this color? How much would it cost for me to get three to four buckets of paint for a set of the movie? And they said, you know, I don't know, maybe like 250 bucks. And they go, okay, it's cheaper for me to buy a crate of Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> We're painting this with Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> oh, my God. But that's, like, it's disgusting. But I love that. We have the deadbeat husband, like, in the bathroom. He's having like some weird mental breakdown because he misses Virginia Madsen. And like the deadbeat, I'm sorry, not the. Uh, just, just, it, I got the sense that he was having a breakdown because when all the people from the project show up with the baby, and I'm, I'm guessing off screen he learns the story that, you know, Virginia Madsen saved the baby. That he's not only broken down because she's dead, but that he didn't believe her. He wanted to institute. Well, I think, but I think it was the problem too. So like he kind of realizes again, it was the buyer, weird form of like buyer's remorse that like oh he wanted the hot young thing that like yeah. didn't feel passionate. The about new mom, him. yeah. Well, yeah, and plus, like, but that's the thing. He wanted that young little hot thing that had, like, like really just did whatever she wanted. Like, yep. wasn't focused on anything. It's got a big paperclip. Exactly. <laughs> except for a big paperclip. And then at the end, like, we had this entire exchange where he's sitting on the toilet having a breakdown. She's like, so what do you want for dinner? <laughs> oh, yes, yes. And it's like, she's like, and he's like. Ugh. A scene right out of the Cinematics restaurant yes. kitchen. <laughs> and she's like, she's like. I, I, insert the clip because I'm going to yeah, butcher it. Yeah, yeah. But like she takes out oh, like a flank stick. I like steak. the butcher pun right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she takes a flank stick that's being like on a like comically large paper plate and she's like, are you going to make the salad at least? <laughs> and then like we cut back to Virginia Madsen like cooking like an elaborate meal for him. Like a flashback type of thing. Yeah. Or Where again, yeah. it's a weird form of like, oh, he wanted the hot young thing that wasn't focused on anything and he realizes, oh, maybe having someone who's passionate was a good thing. Yes. Which is a weird theme that once again had nothing to do with the rest of the film. Mm -mm. Nothing whatsoever. And then like we have her and she's just angrily cutting <laughs> steak, just chop, chop, chop and just flinging meat somewhere <laughs> to one point Rob exclaims, where is she putting this stuff that she's flinging? I think she's putting it in the salad bowl, which is which is holding a bag unbagged lettuce. <laughs> I don't know. And honestly, I don't think I wrote it down. I should have made it one of I my think notes. I, know, I think I know what one of my snacks is going to okay, be for the okay. restaurant. One of my options. When she, when the twenty-year-old grad student, you know, takes the meat out of the out of the fridge, and it's on the plate like that. It's Zach a paper said, plate, it's and a... she throws it at the counter. I'm like, that's an aggressive. I wish I had the confidence to throw meat around my face. <laughs> I would make a mess. I'd miss it. Would, it would like bounce and knock over. And she's just like frisbeeing it. How many she's takes, like, woo! How many takes did you think that they had to get? Oh, that? I hope it was a whole day of shooting. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they were just like, go, go, go. They went $50,000 over budget just for that one sequence. <laughs> Bernard Rose is like, the meat throw at the end is not good enough. You know? And it's like, well, Bernard, we can't give you another day for this. You already spent $700 on the paperclip. <laughs> Bob finds the prop department that worked on this film. It's just like, where, where did this go? But you're right. She's so... Because, of course, the, the, the young 20-year-old is upset that the husband's having buyer's remorse and that type of stuff. But then one of the weirdest things that happens at the end of the first movie, I'm glad you reminded me of this scene, he doesn't say Candyman into the mirror five times. He says Helen. And she appears. So is she the candy woman? Doesn't matter. That's not a part of the second movie, really. <laughs> I don't know, maybe it's part of the direct video sequels or something, but he gets killed, the screams at seeing her, him, whatever, the movie ends, you know? He gets gutted. Like, yes, season, yes, yes, yes. It's very strange. <laughs> and I know everybody at this table can, can, you know, corroborate that when we were watching it just over in Zach's living room here, 
I, I exclaimed, and I probably did it too fast, like Jeremy was sitting next to me. I think my, my hand went full in front of your face to point at the screen and go, there's a giant paperclip on the wall! <laughs> I, like, I lost my mind at the end of the movie. I, it caught my attention, and I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> it's, it's, it's great. You're right, Zach. I have some other stuff I want to say about the remake. I think we, we all might, since that's fresher in our heads, but we, I would be remiss if we did not mention Philip Glass scored the first movie. Zach knows how much I love Philip Glass. Zach knows how much I love the 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 choral repetition, the eeriness. I guess this is a question for Jeremy. Ooh, oh, sh fuck. This is the problem living in turnstiles. Jeremy's the other half of an inferiority complex. <laughs> I should have said that fucking an hour and a half ago. Okay, maybe I'll edit that in somewhere. <laughs> Jeremy's here, you know, for a good reason. We do music a lot together. Yeah, Jeremy's just some guy we found like, at the bus station. <laughs> We all have. We, Rob and I went to the movies and we found these people called Jeremy and Rachel there, and we're like, "Hey, like, we're throwing people in this theater. Like, besides like the uh, vast amounts of ghosts here, would you want to record a podcast with us?" Yeah, I, I totally forgot to mention that because I thought we set it up, you know, two weeks from now. But Jeremy is a music person. Jeremy's more musical than movie related. Uh, Jeremy, one, are you familiar with Philip Glass, the composer? I, I've heard of his work, but okay. I wasn't. I wasn't sure, like. Philip, if you told me who Philip Glass was, I'd be like, who's that? But sure. I, I'm sure that there's some like, yeah. things that I found in his scores or comp compositions that I've sent to you over the years. Very famously, Zach and I know, he, uh, Watchmen. uh, Prut, I Go, and Prophecies, one of his songs is the, the score in the Watchmen movie when Dr. Manhattan gets his origin story. Uh, Jeannie, don't leave me! Uh, and Jenny, don't, don't leave me! me. <laughs> and it's great. And I think, you know, what you heard in this movie of his score, that's kind of what he does. That's his, his essence. What did you think about the score for the first movie? Oh, it was great. It was really I kind of want to say it was my favorite part of the first movie. Yep. The bar <laughs> set low for that, too, yeah, by the way. Yeah, yeah. That was something that was sorely missing from the second movie. Yes. Was there a score in the second movie? There, the, was the there? Moments, the moments I noticed the score in Candyman 2021, it felt like they were trying to knock off the Philip Glass score. Because he did not score the 2021 version. It was someone I did not know the name of. Um... But yeah, I'm glad we're on the same page. That music is so, like, the, the, the choral aspect mixed with the almost cacophony of violins. Like, that's Philip Glass's, you know, his motif. And in his, in his longer pieces, that's like his late motif is really, like, coming back to choral and, and you know, uh, orchestral structures. And it's great. So I'll have to send you more of his stuff. And um, it, it's awesome. But I'm glad we're in agreement because I, one of my things, uh, not to jump ahead too far, but how to end this episode, right as the first movie started, I was like, the opening credits music, in reverse. Like, when those opening credits in Candyman 1992 were playing, I'm like, I'm about this, you know? And then Zach is like, later on, can we play Disco Inferno? <laughs> <laughs> Which you'll have to explain later on, Zach, but we might do a medley, of course. But Philip Glass is great. Philip Glass is... Um, I won't get into it here because we could do a whole episode on it. A very controversial composer. Um, he might not be the best human being or anything like that, but oh, he geez. makes fantastic music. So I'm glad we're in agreement with that, at least. Um, Rachel, not to leave you out, what do you think of, what do you think of Philip Glass? Phil What's your history with Philip Glass, <laughs> Let me Let me move the recorder a little closer because I know you're going to go on a 10-minute diatribe right here, right? He's wonderful. <laughs> it's wonderful <laughs> okay okay that's good I, I kind of think that was everything I had on the first well, movie I want to give a slight update Rob asked can we tweet the Candyman oh yes I found Candyman on Twitter Ooh. Rob's gonna love this Ooh. I want Rob I want you to describe what it is that I'm showing you I'm showing you okay, Candyman's okay. Twitter page please tell me what Candyman's avatar I is. love when we discuss visual things <laughs> 
Oh, it's Meatwad. It's just Meatwad. Meatwad is Candyman. Just Meatwad. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, okay. So, Rob, I, uh, how does it make you feel that Meatwad is the mastermind behind Candyman? Very happy. Does that make sense? Is very there continuity happy. there? Uh, he, he's not my favorite character from Optimus Hunger Force, because my favorite character, of course, is Master Shake. Uh, but Meatwad is a, a great second. There's a wonderful, wonderful episode of Octane Hunger Force where it's revealed that Shake has been giving Meatwad an allowance, but it is pine cones and twigs, which he <laughs> thinks are cash. <laughs> and, and Meatwad, and, and Meatwad, like, Frylock sees Shake giving him the, the pine cone or whatever. And Frylock is like, Meat, is like, Shake, what are you doing? You know? And it's like, and he's like, this is his allowance. This is what he gets, that type of thing. And Meatwad, and Meatwad's like, yeah, it's, you know, it's my allowance. It's money. And Frylock plays along. He goes, he's like, what are you doing with all that money? Are you putting it under your mattress? And Meatwad goes on like a 30 to 40 second thing where he's like, no, you fool. I put in a Roth IRA to defeat taxes. I don't want none of that capital gain bullshit. It's so fucking funny. <laughs> I will have to dig up that clip and I'll watch that episode when I find that clip. I love it so much. What are you doing? What do you think I'm doing? Paying the bills. I got my blender to work all morning. I need me a weenie smoothie. No, 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 Meatwad. Shake's got to do it. He needs to learn a lesson about responsibility. But you need to teach me a lesson about money. Look at this here. I was going to send this. No one works in the system that I use. Why don't you just put all this back in your little pine straw bank? Bank? No. That's my IRA. I use the bank I get burned on capital gains tax. What was that? But that was a great find, Zach. That is way better than in two weeks we're going to learn of James Woods dating someone 40 years younger oh, than him. <laughs> That's so icky. Allegedly, I guess. <laughs> so I think that was everything I had to say. I, I guess the only other thing I wanted to mention was a quick note I made. Um, the lighting in the original movie. We get a lot of what seems like they put a light behind a zoetrope that just spun to get a, give a lot of, you know, different colors flashing over characters' faces. Very Twin Peaks Black Lodge stuff to me, which I really appreciated. So I think, you know, to transition to the, the remake, uh, more to focus that on that, that more, the original movie was weird. The original movie had crazy lighting, had crazy choices, had crazy performances, had great music. What did the new one have, right? Was there anything we could latch onto in the new one other than gore? Is that yeah, what we're doing these the, days? have good gore. No. It was, it was it like was, Friday the 13th. It was part 12. Yeah. Friday the 13th, part 12 gore. Well, okay. Maybe this is the thing we can all agree on. There's a small scene about birth control in the remake that, so that we have to discuss. There's a lot we discuss. Yes. So there's a lot to unpack. Maybe it's not a good the, movie, but yeah. there's a lot to maybe unpack. Maybe this is the transition point into the Candyman 2021 that we get a scene where our main character, who is the baby from the original movie... Spoiler alert. Spoiler Like I said in the theater while watching the Zach, when the reveal happens that he's the baby, I'm like... This doesn't hit as hard after watching the first movie and knowing that his name was Tony McCoy. Like, it, I, I don't know about you guys, I knew it immediately. They're like, this is Anthony McCoy. And I'm like, oh, Anne-Marie McCoy was the neighbor of, you know, the girl, the woman who got murdered. And when she's holding the baby in the first movie, she calls him Tony. And I'm like, oh. So this is the connection. And then the movie plays it like it's a huge reveal. And that's when I'm like, this doesn't hit as hard. I we just okay. watched that, it. In that moment, Rob is just like yelling at the movie. <laughs> and I'm like, why is our protagonist and his mother the exact same age? Yeah, the just casting cast problem the is actress. huge, hugely problematic. I'm maybe, uh, hopefully there's a reason why. Maybe she retired or just like went into hiding. Maybe she said, go <laughs> fuck yourself, Jordan Peele. <laughs> I hope she said I was that. in the direct-of-video sequels. I'm not making this mistake again. <laughs> 
So the the original actress in the 1992 uh, Candyman for Anne Marie McCoy was Vanessa Estelle Williams, and it looks like she was in the movie. She played. It's her. No. Wikipedia says it's her. As IMDb says, it's it's her too. Okay, she looks great. Okay, Vanessa Williams, <laughs> if you're listening to this, what fountain of youth did you find? We would all like to take a sip out of that. Well, okay, she looks way better. Okay, but if that's okay, I don't care how good she looks. You know what? There's this beautiful thing in entertainment. I don't think anyone's ever heard of it before. This is gonna be revelatory. So, like, everybody, brace yourself at home. Like, like, hold on to your butts and take notes. Yes, copious. <laughs> Makeup. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Does Jordan Peele know this? Ex- Maybe dialing back the police equal bad and throw some... Okay, Rob has a face of a lady. Oh, okay. <laughs> Vanessa Williams is Mrs. Walker in our favorite thriller slash Ad Astra. I don't remember who Mrs. Walker is, but she's in thriller oh, slash Ad Astra. <laughs> that is crazy. You're right. That's not something I was even thinking of. I was watching that scene in the in the new Candyman, and I was like, "Is this a reveal?" Like, I know it's the same name, you know. And they told the whole story at the beginning about how the baby was taken away and that type of stuff. And Zach's like, "Why are they the same age?" You know. And you're totally right, but apparently they're not the same. Which, which age. means what? What's his, what's who's our protagonist? His real name, Yaha Abdul Mateen II. Yes, he looks horrible. Then he looks. <laughs> he's only like five years older than us. Jesus, he's and he's, 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 got, he's a got a forty year old man. Face. Yeah, he's got he's got a worn face. Absolutely. Uh, that's before the beasting too. Where, you know, <laughs> he's don't, Morpheus. Don't he's gonna be young Morpheus in the Matrix Resurrections. Okay. Okay. Yeah, 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 Abdul Mateen. The second. Man, he has a great... He has, okay, so, so Rob can see the poster of The Matrix Oh, I'm finally seeing it. That sucks. That's so minimalistic. That is so stupid. What is TheMatrix.com? Jesus. Only in theaters? I don't think so. Isn't that getting the HBO treatment? Yeah, yeah I thought so. Okay, okay. So, birth control. <laughs> I want to talk about this scene. We cannot lose the thread of this scene. Yaya Abdul Mateen is drunk at the end of an art showing. Yes. The implication that he's I like drunk. how Rob. I don't want to get too. Can we set the mood first before we get to immediately to the payoff of this sequence? You want to light a candle? <laughs> <laughs> yes, please set the mood. I don't want to miss anything because this is a wonderful sequence in the movie. It's, it's an art. Okay. Our protagonist is. Again, it's Tenet, the protagonist. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say his name. Tony. He's like. like I don't want to say he's like an up and coming art. Like, person. Artist, thank yeah, you. Yeah. And so, like, but like, he's kind of like washed up at the same time too. It's weird. Yeah. He's up and coming, but they're also alluding to, that he's a washed up. Per- we get a, the line at the beginning from uh, the the girlfriend Yaya Abdul Mateen's girlfriend's brother. Yeah. Who's like, you know, get off your ass and pick up a paintbrush. Like you gotta you gotta pay your rent or your share of the rent or something. So he's definitely like out of the loop or something. Yeah. We get the sense of. But they also he just got out of grad school. Yes, yes, that's right. So, like, he, he went from being, like, a prodigy to, like, just disappearing. Yeah. Oh, we didn't get that scene with uh, Clive, the art dealer, who's like, this is you from three years ago. I want the you of you now type of thing. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so you have the art... He's in a rut. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I know like, how that sequence begins. Like, our protagonist sits there, has, like, a, like a display exhibit that's like just, like, mirrors. And Rob's like, that's it? <laughs> I'm just like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> because we see... The high school girl, who we see later on, which comes out, no, we take a picture of a mirror, and I go, "Did she just take a picture of a mirror?" <laughs> <laughs> we should also, okay, this is for context. We have high school girl. And we when we know her name, 
because she has a necklace with a name on yes, it. Yes, We see her walking around. She just disappears from the scene. I'm just like, what? I, I exclaimed to Rob. She's our tracking shot. Yeah. She, she is the feather from Forrest Gump. <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's the focus of a Zemeckis tracking shot. <laughs> and I'm just like, and she just disappears. I'm like, okay, that's going to be important later on. That's the equivalent of grad student in the first film. Yeah. She's like there in the first five minutes. Like, okay, she'll come back later on. Like Jordan feels like, make note of it. It might be important later on. <laughs> and then it just progresses. Like, we have our protagonist. He gets drunk. He's, he's over-explaining the meaning of his exhibit. The bad the, interaction with the critic. Yes. yes. Who's extremely condescending to him. Oh, I'm so glad you reminded me of this. It's like, all, it's like that same level of what Bradley Woodford and Get Out, where he's like, I would have voted for Obama for a not, third term. Not only that, it's but I was thinking, as much as we disagree about how much we like Birdman, I think the one thing we do agree on is how poorly written the critic in Birdman yes. is. Because the critic in it's Birdman is basically... I think this is more egregious than the critic in Birdman. Because the critic in Birdman actually has as stupid and profound, uh, profoundly stupid it is in Birdman, you know, saying, you're washed up, Michael Keaton, you can't do this anymore. That adds to Michael Keaton's arc of wanting a legacy. This is straight up her going, gentrification, 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 black people. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god, like, this is so superfluous, you know? Well, once again, it's the it goes back. It's, this is where M Night Shyamalan. Yes, it's, yes. It's, was that Paul Giamatti and Lady in the Water, and that like the it's the white critic condescending yeah, to the black artist. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, I have no problem with that as a theme. Just make it clever. Mm -hmm. And this movie does not do it at all. It doesn't you know? do that at all. Yeah, it's like you know. Does I think in the I'll put the clip in, of course. Uh, well, one I should say any clip from the new Candyman might be muddled by us talking over it because we were the only people in the theater. But if I can find the clip, I'll put it in. But he says something like, "Why am I explaining my art to you? It should speak for itself." And she says, "Oh, it definitely speaks. It speaks, you know, in like contrived cliches of violence and the uh, in the middle class or the lower class." And it's just like. Anyway, I don't know why I'm standing next to my own piece like some kind of asshole. The word speaks for itself. Oh, it speaks, all right. It speaks in didactic knee-jerk cliches about the ambient violence of the gentrification cycle. But your kind are the real pioneers of that cycle, you know? Excuse me? Artists. Artists descend upon disenfranchised neighborhoods to find cheap rent so that they can dig around in their studios without the crushing burden of a day job. I'm gonna get another drink. God, couldn't couldn't you do a, like a second pass to like you know maybe even. Something I hate, I would have loved them to do. Take out a thesaurus and put some bigger words in just to make it sound better. Because <laughs> no, the whole point is just to hit you over. Game Rob, it's, it's designed to be ham fisted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, that's the thing like, that drives us about Jordan Peele. He's a smart guy, but he's deliberately making it low brow. So he, he so, wants to smack you across the head. Exactly. Camera. So, so uh, Tony McCoy, our main character, he has a bad interaction with, his, um, with the whole art gallery, with the critic. He gets drunk, and he comes to... It comes to a head when he meets that other artist, the other black guy artist, who we only see twice in the movie. He I don't shows know his up name. At the, at the dinner with the at, girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. And it, they, I thought they were trying to set up some, like in the first movie, some romantic contention. Yeah. Like maybe the, the art dealer girlfriend was going to find this better up-and-coming artist, but no, they throw that out the window. And, you know, he said, the, the up-and-coming artist says something like, where'd you get those paintings? At a thrift store? And he's like, no, in a studio where I painted them. And he goes off. And he has a line to Clive, the, the white guy, you know, prim and proper uh, art gallery owner. And I'm pretty sure he says something like, make sure you restock on plan B before your summer internship program. 
And the dude's like, whoa, you had that thought of before. That wasn't spontaneous. And he's like, yeah, I had that going. And it cuts back to, as they leave, as the drunk you know, guy and the girlfriend takes him out to not cause more of a scene, it cuts back to the art he, gallery owner with his intern, with weird, I guess intern, the weird you know, green-haired girlfriend type of thing. And for some unknown fucking reason, the girlfriend says to him, I want a Nuva ring. <laughs> Which is a form of birth control. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a diaphragm or something, as far as I know. I don't know if Rachel wants to chime in on any of the female anatomy that I'm not really akin to with birth control. But it is the weirdest thing. I, I'm actually I she thinking. Did I want a new ring or I have a new ring? I thought it was I want. I thought she I don't know. Have. Let's okay. Zach and I split. What do we think? Rachel? I she said she already, she got like a new one or something. She got, Jeremy? Yeah, I think it was like, I have new Yeah, shit. I have one, yeah. God damn it. Yeah. This is the bummer because I know when I try and find this clip, it's going to be us laughing hysterically. <laughs> We're not going to be able to hear the movie. It'll be inconclusive. Oh. I'm going to put the clip in regardless. So we hope the audience enjoys but it. Still, but it it's, is it's, wild. It's, jarring. it's insanely it jarring. Is, it is like a comedic drop, but not a drop like an anvil. It's like an anvil coming down the Animaniacs. It hits us so hard. It makes no sense in the movie. And, uh, ah, Tony, is it? I love intervention strategy. A conventional painting is such a drag. I love that you hid those fucking things in a storage room with the lights out. So smart. Is all your work based on found material? I mean, where'd you even find those paintings? First store in the desert? <laughs> I found them in the studio where I painted them. <laughs> you goofy ass fuck. <laughs> and you, you fucking hyenas. Oh, oh, what the that's, fuck? That's so Clyde. Anthony, you think you'd even be here if it wasn't for her? Shouldn't you be sort of stocking up on one and a half pills to accommodate your summer intern program? That's not spontaneous. Oh. Yeah, yeah. You had that one in the bank. Yeah, I did, bitch. <laughs> it's fine. I can take you and call the bitch. I'm going to I know. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Oh god! And then, I, they, then they, they start in the. That's the first kill of the film, right? Like they're having sex in yes, the art gallery, yes. and she chains him to her through like her weird. She like, has like hot a belt, top, yeah, hot and, top and belt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a dog leash on her waist that he yeah. she latches onto him, and and they're like negging each other before they do the sexy time stuff, and and then it's it's just so weird, and of course it's all leading up just to get Candyman to kill him. Um, but it, it just stood out so much to me, Sean. you know? It's, it's basically the giant paperclip of the second movie. <laughs> the Nuva ring scene. <laughs> okay, so that, that was our, my transition into this movie. What else do you want to talk about with the remake? I mean, we said a I lot about... Just, I want to establish the plot for Okay, this. okay. It begins, like, the flashback from the 70s. Yes. With our laundromat owner, which I think is, that's, okay... It's, we don't know he's a laundromat owner at the time. Yeah, yeah. But we see this kid. He's going to do laundry. He's in the projects. He goes. Like obviously, you get to see like the projects in all their quote-unquote glory. Mm -hmm. He goes to the basement to go do laundry. We get that all stuff. Then we see a guy literally walk out of a wall, a hole in the wall, a literal hole in the wall with a hook, and you give him some candy. We hear the kids scream. Cops are outside. They go running and cut the black. And it's like X amount of years later. And it's like, okay, that's a great way to start a movie. Oh, God. Okay, hold on. Before that, we need to talk about how all of the production logos at the beginning of this movie were reversed. Well, that makes sense Is now, it? in retrospect, because it's the mirror effect. They're trying to be clever. They're trying. <laughs> I don't agree with it. I'm angry about this. I'm very yeah, angry no, so about am I. this. 
We were really hoping. I might put this clip in as well of us saying, "Is this is this a mistake? Like, if they is had the reversed version? the entire movie, no. we, we would have come in here at the start of this episode saying we saw a version of the movie nobody else got to see. <laughs> it was entirely. We were, I was hoping that we had seen it. That would have been film. awesome. Like, yes. I know when they show the street sign in the projects, like I leaned forward. Yes. I'm like, <laughs> what does it say? What does it say? You know. Uh, but yes, okay. I get I get that now. I don't like I it, but I get being it. Clever, but they do that prologue to establish this character and to establish later on that Candyman is not just one person. It's the legacy of black people. But they don't, but they don't even establish that until like halfway through the film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing, is that like we find out about like all this, and it's really jumbled because like you have that, so you think, oh, is that again Rob knew because he connected the first film to this to the remake quite early on. But like as I'm watching this, I'm like, oh, is this supposed to be Tony as a kid? I'm like, because yeah, the, the guy, yeah. our protagonist, looks like he's 40, so I'm like, okay, it would make sense that like it was like the 1979, he was like eight years old. It would make sense by, like, wherever this takes place, like, I would imagine sometime in the 2010s, it would be that. And it's like, nope, we're going through, again, all the stuff of the art gallery, the art, blah, blah, blah. Was it, what's the project called? Something Greenies? Uh, Cabrini Green or something Cabrisi. like that? Cabrisi Green? Cabrini. Cabrini, Cabrini Green. Cabrini that Green. sounds right. And we're doing all the stuff. Jesus, we are so racist. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> um, like even like we were talking on the way to the movie like oh there's like like apparently they demolished that like in the 2000s yes yes and it's like oh and that's like they wove that into the plot which is neat to bring like real world stuff into like oh we demolished this thing like we'll watch again drops at gentrification and but like the plot goes from like okay we have our protagonist character Tony then we see him just like wandering around these projects like the the still remaining buildings that are still there that they haven't demolished yet in Chicago. And then, like, he meets this random guy there who runs a laundromat. And we're just, and it's just like, what is going on? And the guy, like, explains part of the Candyman lore. Mm -hmm. But earlier, we have the girl, our protagonist's girlfriend's gay brother in the most flamboyant performance. Oh, very, oh, God. very like, over the top. Like, day. yes, like, over the top. And he, like, goes through this entire story, but, like, obviously, and it's meant to be the idea of, like, legends and lore being exaggerated and just, mis like, misinformation, yeah. where clearly. What's her name from the first movie? Virginia Mad Madsen, right? Yeah, yeah. Was sitting there like she was the villain of this whole time. Yes. They, the lore has kind of, you know, uh, perverted itself over the years to make her the villain yeah. type of thing. It's Even almost like Candyman no longer exists in lore at the beginning of the that's new movie. The thi but that's the problem. Yeah. Like, the lore is basically stating that, like, oh, none of this matters. In the sense yes. of, like, none of this matters. Yes. And then as the film evolves... It changes its tone from, oh, lore doesn't matter because it's so just messy to mm -hmm. lore is the most important thing in the world because this is how we remember the tragic loss of these people. And it's like, no, because the lore has been so convoluted and just been, oh, God, just a tangled mess. Yep. Nobody can pull the strands apart as to like, oh, this tragic death, this tragic death, this tragic death. And then you have this weird thing where it's like the film – toward the end, to skip ahead, we have – because the laundromat guy is what, Bernard? Burke, I think. Burke, Burke. Burke. Yeah. okay. And we find, like, oh, he's setting up Tony as a new Candyman mm -hmm. to perpetuate the lore. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so, like, is he trying, is Jordan Peele trying making a thing about, like, black-on-black -black crime? Like, is that meant to be that? Like, the idea of, like, black, it's like, you have enough problems, you don't need to be inventing your own problems? And then the film completely shifts gears away from that, where we have the girlfriend stab the laundromat Burke guy, mm -hmm. And then we have the police show up, and the police just automatically shoot the already dead boyfriend. 
Because, like, yes. they knew he was bad because they were looking for him. And, like, in the, like, the end of the movie, I'm like, what does Jordan Peele want me to take away from this? That's kind of how I felt. Because is of- it white man bad, policeman, <laughs> black on black crime is bad? Like, what is it that you want me to take away from the idea of having a supernatural being that can murder people when you say their name five times? Exactly. And I'm with everything you're saying. I want to throw another wrench into this because <laughs> I, I was kind of getting the Ozymandias at the end of Watchmen vibes, trying to find a common enemy for yeah. Chicago type of thing. There is But none. that's not fleshed out either. So I'm with you. I have... We, we can list, we can sit here and list all these different things that maybe Burke wanted to do with the resurrection of Candyman at the end of the movie, but, there, but mean, none of them are fully based. But that's the thing, though. Like, again, this goes back to even, like, Freddy Krueger lore. Like, you probably remember Raw from, like, just cultural osmosis, like, by Freddy oh, yeah. versus Jason. Pedophile, like, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but in Freddy versus Jason, it's the idea that, like, Freddy wants to resurrect Jason because everyone's forgotten about Freddy, and the only way he can come back to life is through people being afraid of him. Yes. Make them remember what, like, fear tastes like. Very Tulpa-esque, you know? Yes. It, it exists because you believe in it type yes. of thing. Yeah. It gives the lore meaning and yeah. power. Yeah! Once again, what I wanted the first movie to really own but, into. That's but wonderful. This, but this is what they're trying to set up, though. But, like, you have this thing where, like, it's very noticeable. Like, in, in the first movie, Candyman, Tony Todd kills, like, black and white. Yes. Indiscriminately. It's innocence that matters. Innocence mm-hmm. versus the, in order to pay, like, this is, you're going to pay this price. Yep, yep. And then in this one, it's exclusively white people. Except, except in the moment where we have the teenage girl's bathroom scene. Yeah. And it's like weird and, scene, and you have man. all these teenage girls, and it's the goddamn League of Nations, where you have Latino, <laughs> Asian, black, Gay, maybe? No, Transgender? Well, well, Vapor, I think, is, is, is her character. Yes, yes. Because she runs back. She's the first one dead because she runs back to get her vape. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and it's like, oh. And then like you have that. And that literally, you can take that entire sequence out of the movie and it changes nothing. I 100% agree. But just to add on to what your point, the point you're making, we have the United Nations of, of girls in high school, which I love. They are, they do the Candyman thing in front of the mirror, which Zach very nicely pointed out in the movie that they're saying it fucking like at least 33 times or something like that. <laughs> Technically, all just, according to Candyman lore, and I can't put enough quotation marks around the word lore, so I'm not even going to try. Want, I still want to get to that. <laughs> they say that, like, they eat, there's five of them holding hands, and they say Candyman, and that should bring it right there. Exactly, exactly. And he shows up instant, and what, what, because what, you have that? We're like, they're like, nothing's happening. And then as they're trying to leave, the black girl comes in with her headphones and puts herself in the stall. So that's another layer, is that this United Nations, they even put the button on that scene of of them being bullies to the black girl. And it's like, what are we supposed to think about this? What is the message? And it's so muddled. And it's not muddled like the second half of the first movie, where it's muddled in the sense of, what is this movie trying to say? It's muddled in the sense of, you can't have your cake and eat it too. I think Jordan Peele just is just mad at everybody's a bad person. I, Which is a message I can get behind. We're all like as human beings, we're inherently malevolent. Yeah, I, I kind of so think like, it's that. And he's also like, I feel like they made this movie and maybe Jordan Peele production stuff like The Twilight Zone. It's almost made piecemeal. Like I was saying earlier, they have these ideas for visuals and they try and jam in packet packaging peanuts around it to make it seem like it's something worthwhile. And that's what that scene was to me. Because at the end of the movie, I, after we watched finished watching in the theater. Zach, you said something like, what the hell was the point of that? And I was like, I think they ended up at 75 minutes and needed to add some more stuff. It seems like padding the runtime. Or they wanted another 
gore scenes, blood but like, but this is the weird thing, though. Is that, like they make a very big point of saying like there's been like what at the very end we see all the little silhouette. We get Deathly Hollows yes. like flashbacks. I'm glad you remind. I, I was like, I know I've seen that animation it's style Hollow's somewhere. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. And it's probably the most creative sequence of the movie. Yes. Um, but like at, at the very end, there's at least five Candyman. Yep. Yep. Because apparently we're doing a team-up movie, which which um, Burke, the laundromat guy, mentions earlier when there's uh, multiple versions. He's of like it. he's like Candyman's the hive. It's not one person. It's like, and he, he lists. He's like these these people were wrong. This guy got killed by white cops. This guy got killed by white cops. This guy got killed by white royalty. And it's like yeah, I know what you're saying. And so it's just like amalgamation that Candyman is. And yet entity every time, that yet wrong, every, writes the wrongs of, of white police or something like that. But we don't see him ever. Like he just kind of. And the, the only way to summon him is to say his name. Yes. Which is like a definition of just like superstitious, like like archaic nonsense. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the thing. But like every time we see Candyman appear, it would be really clever if every time it was a different version of that, and that's how we were we got that explained oh, to us. Oh yeah. No, it's the same one from the hole in the wall in the beginning of the film. Yep. It's Sherman as they called the yes. film. Yeah. And that's why I mean, you know, then at the very, very end, in order the the this for this like what, nostalgia berries it's Tony Todd. De-aged Tony which Todd, looked yeah. fine. Like, look, did it looked look, fine. It looked like the original Tony Todd. But that's what you're saying, though. As he's going around, like, Weber's name is Tony murdering the cops, mm-hmm. and he has, like, a B-head, and he's just, like, doing his thing. I'm like, what? what? Why couldn't we have this as a movie? <laughs> that looked really cool. That's what I mean. I, I really that wanted, as a movie. And I, know I, I might be biased because it makes me think of um, uh, the character Sir from the Miserable Mill of um, Series of Unfortunate Events. In, in the book, which they don't really pull off in the show or the movie, they don't do it in the, in the Jim Carrey movie, just in the show. It, it, it's illustrated and told as a character who's constantly smoking a cigar, and you, the kids never see his face. It's always like a, a human body, and you know there's a head there. A head has to be there, and it's just covered in smoke. I'm so with you, Zach. Wouldn't it have been so fucking cool to be like, oh, Candyman's coming out. Get rid of the stupid invisibility shit unless you're looking in a mirror. Just have him be shrouded by you know bees. Why, you know why they did that, though, right? I guess, I don't what know. Is stu- hot, what, okay, look at the trailer. Okay, what, <laughs> what is the movie we saw a trailer for in front of this that you've said you've seen a YouTube kid shoving down oh, your throat? Oh, malignant. Remember, ghost slashers don't sell. Yeah. Ghost specter sells. Yes. Everything and, now has to be you're viewing the horror through some lens. Whether it be a mirror, whether it be a dream or anything, whether it be The Shining in Doctor Sleep, it has to be through a lens. Yes. And what's the point of that? Make it like Jaws. Make it like the alien from Alien. Make it something that when you when you blow your load on releasing it, it's the scariest fucking thing and you're scared of it for the last 30 minutes of the movie. But that that's the problem. The market research tells them that's not what's going to sell. That sucks. How, how come nobody's asking me this market research? <laughs> because you're, again, think about that. When you and I talk about horror movies, we're sitting there looking at stuff that we, we're watching Mandy. Oh. We're not, but think about it. What was the last Conjuring movie? How much money that? That came out this summer. Oh, God. That, made, that was called The Conjuring colon The Devil Made Me Do It. Yes. <laughs> That's the stupidest title. It's probably like a real life description of how that film got yeah, made. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's the thing, though. At like least that, it wasn't Annabelle Made Me Do It. I'll give it that. That's one, that film, one step Think up. about it. Conjuring pandemic release probably made more money in a day than Mandy did its entire yep, absolutely. life. Absolutely. And that's and that's what's on HBO Max as well. And that's the problem. Is that like they it's it's everything has to be through the lens, like you said, of a specter yep. or some sort of more supernatural being. That's a good point. Why can't we just see anything anymore? I even think it goes before the conjuring and even insidious, or like you said, the Baba Duke of just the idea 
I think that's a lens as well. It's the idea of a monster, not actually seeing the monster. And that's what all horror is now. That's what paranormal activity started. Paranormal activity was, you're not seeing anything scary. Isn't there a paranormal You're seeing the effects of scary. Isn't there a paranormal activity where they literally do the Bloody Mary thing and like that's like the teaser? I don't know. The only thing I know about paranormal activity 3 is that there's a haunted Xbox. That's all I know about one of the paranormal. It might be four. Isn't that, isn't it might be three or isn't four. That, isn't that how like Bill Gates conjured that up? The idea of it just being like never working and just being some demonic like possession from another realm. Probably, yeah. That's, what the, that's, what the Red Ring that's of why death is. I was. You literally took the words right out of my mouth. That's why the it's warranty demonic. doesn't cover the Red Ring of Death because it's a spirit infecting the Xbox. That's, <laughs> that's considered an act that's of God. What the, <laughs> uh, apologies to the Scientologists in the audience. That is what happened. It's like they have like, all like the, the experience leave the volcano. Bill Gates put a giant like net of like Xbox 360s over them and that's how the spirits why they absorbed it like a sponge <laughs> that's good no but that, that's a really good point that modern horror is through a lens and well even can you talk about like you don't want I don't, I don't want that well think about mass audiences do exactly and Rob what's this podcast called uh, late night movies with Rob and Zach I was, about to, I, was, I was about to make a ten rings joke again and I couldn't do it fast <laughs> enough Zach Rob and Zach of the ten rings I could, I could not think of it fast enough <laughs> But, like, you know what happens when he goes and talks to the art critic, who's mm. meant to be a carpetbagger? Because, like, now oh. he's, like, you have the black man that nobody cared about. Yep. But the yep. moment he gets a slight thing of notoriety, it goes back to even the Paul Mooney in the Chappelle show, where he's, like, everybody want to be a black man, everybody want to be a black man. Yeah. It's, like, that's what it is. And that's in the, Even the Mario Cantone-esque a gay man, that's the same premise. Chappelle was tapping into that idea fucking 20 years ago. Oh my god, you're so right. I know. And that's why, like, even look what happens to... Again, and, and you can hear me laugh hysterically when the art critic gets dies. Like, we see him, like, just... Like, she has the most... Oh god, architecturally fascinating apartment. She yes. has a curved mirror, curved arches, curved bathroom door <laughs> that Dr. Seuss would lose his mind over yes, 20 years yes. ago. <laughs> and then, like, like, he runs out of the apartment. That's all he does, our main character. He just runs out of places. We're only missing a scene where she brings toast and butter, and she puts it on top, he puts it on bottom. And it's like, wow, aren't the classes different? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, may I have some butter? It's only margarine for you. <laughs> um, and then, like, he runs out of the apartment, and she's like, confusedly like we get this like camera shot and it slowly like pans out oh. and we see Candyman kill her and it's the goofiest thing he like slams her head against the glass and we hear eeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeee
five steps behind all him I going, I swear to God, I just want Wendell and Wilde to be good. <laughs> all I want is Keegan-Michael Key in like a pop culture toy museum trying to kill Britt Robertson and Celeste. <laughs> that is a deep cut reference. Keegan-Michael Key and Karen Hahn. Catherine Hahn. Karen Hahn? Catherine Hahn. I think it's Catherine Hahn. I don't even remember Tomorrowland. <laughs> Poor Jeremy and Rachel are just like, what are you talking uh, about right now? Yes, yes. That's an excellent Vico technique, making everybody watch tomorrow. Oh, man. no, I can't, I cannot sit George Clooney again. falls in love with a teenage robot. Thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I bubble freak. Yeah, okay, he wants to restart the episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think, other, just to, I, I, of course, don't have any notes What was everybody's on... favorite part? Limit five, please. Oh, yeah, maybe favorite parts of the new movie. Um, I mentioned, I think, mine. The, the Willy Wonka song at the beginning. My serious answer is... Jeez, I'm trying to rack my brain. Um, no, I kind of really liked the scene where Yahya Abdul-Mateen comes back to his home after really learning the lore of the Candyman from the Laundromat guy, and he finds that his girlfriend has found his sketches of all the Candymen, and he is very... In, in a pure act of futility, trying to throw, <laughs> throw burlap canvas covers over paintings, but Misses. missing. And he's, he's just, he's, keeps, like, he's like, don't look at those. And he just is throwing covers at paintings. Hopefully, hopefully they'll cover it up. It was so comical. <laughs> that might be my favorite We've got part. some other moments too we got to highlight. Like, we should say that, like, he gets stung by just a regular bee rather early in the film. Yes. And he gets a Charlotte Copley, like, alien. Mm. Like, yeah, but arm. you saw, like, it panned down to the ground and... It shows like a bunch of bees, like on the ground. Sure, but like, but, like, but at that point, Candyman's not even established yes. in the film. And my problem, my another big problem I had with that yet. is <laughs> that he gets the bee sting when he's taking a picture yeah. of the painted over church. Yeah, the We're church like, was I, not in the first movie. I know. If anything, it would make sense if he's taking a picture of that little like bathroom where Virginia Madsen got clocked over the head or something, yeah. and saw how that changed through gentrification. What the fuck is this church? I know. What the hell is going on? That's what I mean, though. It's not established at that point. This is supposed to be, like, spooky, like, like exactly. evil. We movie. don't really know what the movie's... Because that's when, you know, his art dealer says, you got to do something good. And he goes, oh, I want to do, you know, Cabrini Green stuff. And he goes to research. My serious answer now that I remembered it, in the, uh, the teenage high school bathroom scene, we get a shot of a compact mirror that a bee lands on, crawls down, and we see the reflection on the mirror, like a regular mirror, and then the reflection and the bee in reality break away from each other. That was cool. I'm a sucker cool. for reflections not acting the same way. Uh, go see Southland Tales. That's a great scene in Southland well, Tales we where should, that happens. We should say, objectively speaking, this film is incredibly, like... Well directed, yes, and the cinematography is off the charts. Yeah, oh yeah, and that's why it's even more disappointing that the director of this, Nia DaCasa, is listed as a screenwriter. If she mm -hmm. just did this in order to boost her career because Jordan Peele was attached to it and that, like it's a recognizable property, I think you could ignore it. The fact that she has her name attached to the script makes me, like I said, I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody in like I think you could fill a phone booth if you're lucky with people excited for the Marvels. Oh yeah, like, like the sequel to Captain Marvel, everybody's favorite superhero of all time, um, Larson. Which I, I guess we should say, out of the five of us, only Babu Frick and Jeremy are allowed to see. Oh, maybe Rachel. It's only white men that can't see Brie yes. Larson movies now, yes. right? Is that the thing? Okay, yes. okay, yeah, yeah. Well, Bobby, what are your thoughts on that? Are you excited for a Brie Larson Mar uh, Captain Marvel? 
I take that as a derisive laugh, and I approve. <laughs> yes, white men cannot see Brie Larson movies because they're not for us, apparently. That's a whole discussion for another day. Um, so I'm glad you bring up the screenplay with Nia DaCosta. None of us have seen Little Woods, which I'm going to check out. Because it, it seems to be an original property that she directed. It's Tessa Thompson, who I don't really care for. Her career's in a downward spiral. So it's, well, it's a trick of the light. Yes. It, her career's in a downward spiral because I think... I don't know which one came first, but Men in Black International was a... Well, she'll be back in Marvel. She'll cataclysm be... of boring, I should say. Well, look, she's part of the Marvel fold. Like, 4, 4 will come out and she'll... 4, 4... Will come out. <laughs> will come out, and it will rebound her career and her stock. Love and thunder, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I, I just want to mention Nia DaCosta. I don't know too much about. The only thing I really know about Nia DaCosta is that um, there, there's a very famous story. When I've watched interviews with Jordan Peele, they were like, "How'd you get into the movie business?" Um, apparently, Nia DaCosta and Jordan Peele were really good friends back in their hometown, wherever that was, which I'm not remembering. And when they graduated high school, both of them were like, "We want to make movies. We should go to Hollywood." And Nia DaCosta was like do you want to pack up and move? And Jordan was like, yeah, fuck it, why not, you know? And it's a great story of, like, that's how Jordan Peele got into, you know, Mad TV and stuff like that. But I have to mention, the third credited writer on this is someone known as Wynn Rosenfeld. He's a white person. Uh -oh. He is a producer on a lot of the Jordan Peele Twilight Zone, he even wrote one of them. He wrote the episode called The Who of You from season two. This is the episode which Zach has not seen. It's, uh, none of them are good except the last one, which has nothing to do with Jordan Peele or any of these people. It's the Osgood Perkins one, which I, I started this, I know I've said this before, but I started to say to Zach, I'm like, yeah, this is a good episode. Like, the last episode of Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone ever, like season two, episode ten, it's pretty good. And then I, I think about it more, and I'm like, okay, it's really good. And now I'm like, it might be one of the best episodes of Twilight Zone ever, because it has nothing to do with Jordan Peele. But anyway, that's beside the point. We'll do that for Monstober. You know, maybe that'll be a Patreon episode. But Wynn Rosenfeld writes this episode called The Who of You, where Ethan Embry is a failing actor, and he decides to go rob a bank. And for literally no reason, in the entire episode is never explained, in the act of robbing the bank, he gains the ability that when he looks somebody in the eyes, he switches bodies with them. <laughs> and the entire episode is him trying to get away with the robbery by constantly looking people in the eyes and like switching person like switching bodies like his mind goes into the body like if I looked at Zach it would be like I'm in Zach's body Zach's in my body type of thing it sucks it's <laughs> so bad and I the cinema audience is no stranger to how much I hate the Twilight Zone and that's why I that's when I started before we watched this movie to be like oh it's written by the Twilight Zone Jordan Peele team. It's not even like the Get Out of the Us Jordan Peele team. That might be clever. And that's why I said earlier, this is like a bad episode of the Twilight Zone. Like Candyman coming back. This, this could have been a 40-minute episode of the Twilight Zone that I would have watched and went, man, that was stupid. I'm never going to watch it again. Right? Mm -hmm. I, yeah. At least it's not bad as All Men Are Rapists, but it's still pretty bad. <laughs> but I, I do want to check out Little Woods. But now Nia DaCosta's pulled into the fold. It's or a bummer. She's in the Marvel fold. It's now. a bummer. But like I said, just to tie it back to favorite scenes, because I think we went off on a tangent, I do love that B splitting with this reflection. That's a really cool visual. I don't know, Zach, did you have a favorite scene from the new well, one? I touched the end. I guess all like I want, end? I yeah. want like, Beast Swarm headman, really and Tony cool. Todd shows up, and I'm like, okay, nostalgia check, I'm done. That really is cool, yeah. Jeremy, what did you think? Any favorite scene? or You were the one that came out right out of the gate after we saw the movie, and you were like, I was bored. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to. I, yeah. I don't want to say too much or ex exaggerate or sugarcoat it. But you were like that. I, like I was bored. 
So yeah, I will say my favorite scene was probably the credits. He took the whole But I will say I do like the animated uh, the animated sequences. Definitely I did hollows, like those. Yeah. Yeah. It was really cool. Some and of that black the and white stuff. Credits were actually mostly the animated. Do we sequences. know oh, if that was done? Yeah. Do we know if that was done, like with actual like animate? Like, like, like animation with paper? Or was that? I would imagine it was a digital effect. I I'm kind of thinking it was digital, it was but cheap and lazy. <laughs> Yeah, I'm guessing that. I'm, I don't even know what I'd look for to find that in any quick thing. Maybe I'll put a correction in or something, but... Yeah. That's, that was neat. In the beginning, remember when we get the before, you know, young laundromat guy goes to the... See Sherman in the wall and stuff? He's playing with the puppets? Yeah. They set it up. I think every time we just cut to the puppets, it had to be a CG type of thing. Which is a bummer, because... I don't know. Was the um God? We need my mom for this. Was the Deathly Hallows CG stuff? Was that Probably. CG or was that that had to be? Yeah. Who did the? Was it Quran? Did he do the last two? Alfonso Quran, oh, David Yates. Okay, Quran did what five and six or something three. like that. Three. Oh God, I don't like three. I know. Fourth is the best one. Uh, I have Harry Potter in my head because it's been on all Labor Day weekend. That's all my mom's been watching. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel, did you have a favorite scene? You can't take the credits now. Jeremy took it. <laughs> It's just like when we saw the MGN logo at the very end. <laughs> I like that it wasn't reversed. <laughs> um, I guess I kind of like the church scene at the end when he's like sawing off his arm. Like oh, okay, um, okay, okay. And she makes a break for it, and she's in that like whatever that like shed area. Oh, starts... Chekhov's pen lets her escape yeah, yeah, yeah. the the church pew that and she's oh, tied yeah, to. Yeah. That pen must be made of steel. She shakes well, yeah, it like yeah. forty times, and, like, and she holds it. She like, still has it. Shanking the guy, and then um, her boyfriend comes in or whatever. He's like, I think she's like, she dead. holds the pen up to him. It's like, oh, I got you next. Well, bitch. no, and, uh, <laughs> he, he makes the comment. He's like, I think he's dead. <laughs> that last five minutes is kind of bonkers. Like, yeah, it's like they, it's like they took the last, the second half of the original movie and condensed it to five minutes without the giant paperclip. <laughs> okay, okay. Good answer, Rachel. I do have to say, just for the audience at home, Rachel started saying that with her hand over her mouth. <laughs> she was like, I don't know if I want this on recording. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's, it wasn't good. I think after I saw it, I said to you guys in the theater, I was like, I think I disliked that. I don't know if I hated it, but I disliked it. I'm kind of on dislike to hate. I, maybe right after seeing it, I was kind of like neutral to dislike. I think I'm dislike to hate. With everything we talked about, the message of Jordan Peele, that they have the visuals first and the story second, it's like, what's going to be scary, you know, that type of thing. I but think. We knew, but I knew that going in. So, like, I kind yeah. of. Yeah. Like, I went in gritting my teeth because okay. I was just like, okay. But, like, yeah, it was the idea that, like, it was supposed to have very clever, like, cinematography, which is there. It was there. It was a very beautiful movie, I have to say. That's, but the problem is that, like. Until the end, though, oh, we should mention when she's. The, the, the girlfriend is in the back of the cop car. Oh. Before she summons Candyman, and we get to just see blue lights of the fucking cop car flashing. Yeah. Jeremy's like, I have a headache. And I'm like, yeah, Jeremy, I'm going to have a seizure right now. <laughs> it went on so long. Like I mentioned, the Twin Peaks vibe of the original movie, it was never like that blatant. It like gave us the taste of it like David Lynch would. And this movie was just like, no, 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 we're going to have a, a bright blue light directly in your eyes for the entire last seven minutes of the movie. And it was rough. <laughs> last sequence, like before like all hell breaks loose. We're like, she's in the cop car, and the cop's like, there's two ways this is gonna go. Uh, the first way is, I'm white, you're black, you lose. Mm -hmm. Second way, you're black, I'm, I'm whiter, white, you're you black. <laughs> <laughs> and like, she's like, I'll tell you everyone I know. 
as long as I can stay into your rear view mirror. And he's like, the fuck? <laughs> he literally says that. And it's like, yep, yep. he's like, okay. And she's like, Candyman. Candyman. And like, there's like 15 second pauses in each of these. And by like the third one, he's like, yeah, he's, he looks at his watch like, can, like, like clearly you're getting at something. Can we vet this though? And then like the moment she's like Candyman. Then we hear at like, the cops inside, just like what fires gun. We're like, what the fuck? And then, like they come running out. And I'm just like, God, I'm so ham-fisted. It's very, very. Jordan Field, if you want to say these things, there's so many ways to just make it clever. Yep. Like yep. isn't that what Get Out was? Like basically the exact same message, but just making it clever. Yeah, and and like I said, when you watch Get Out. Like I said, the first time I watched it, I was like, this is clever. This is subtle. This is a, I know what the message is, but it's not in your face. On rewatch, I was like, okay, it's more in, the, in your face than I thought. But that's it. There's a difference between, like, at the end of the cop where he's like, like, oh, God, heads I win, tails you lose. Mm-hmm. Then you have, like, Catherine Keener steering tea for, like, 45 minutes, at least attempting to mask it. Yes. Whereas at least yes. the idea of, like, oh, like, what's going to happen? Like, where is this coming well, from? There's not that to, mystery. Not to harp on Get Out too much, but on rewatch. Watch once you know what the movie's going for. When literally, you know, the way if everybody remembers, Daniel Kaluuya is able to escape the hypnotize at the very end of the movie because he picks cotton out of the arm of the chair and stuffs in his ear. The black man picks cotton to save himself. That is the most on the nose fucking thing in existence, and that is bothersome to me. I, I like least, when movies have a message, least, but at least don't beat it into my face. That's the thing, though. About Jordan Peele cannot resist that though. It's, I, it's, exactly. It's the scorpion, the goddamn frog, wrong. Yes. It's, that, it's, it's the last season niche. of Key and Peele with the white man, oh, you have a lot of guns, but it's not a safe neighborhood. And you're exactly right. It's but, two in your face. But at least with Get Out, he's able the first time to at least sugarcoat it. Yes, that yes. sugarcoating melts off on subsequent viewing. Yes, yes. But with this, it literally, like, and we have the cop look directly into the camera and be like, white, good. It's like Princess <laughs> Butthead. White, good. Bad, black. White, white is good. good. Good is white. Bad is black. <laughs> black white, will, white, white, good. Black, black, bad. Yes, absolutely. And even though, like, you say that, like, kind of, like, that veneer dissipates with Get Out on subsequent yeah. viewings, at least it's there momentarily. Sure. This doesn't even have that. And I think, you know, once, once again, to get back to it, I, that's why I think I like Us better, because Us is not about race so much as it is about class. Yeah. Which, I'm not saying it's subtle in Us. I mean, it's, it's so unsubtle that I think it's about, you know, Iran the Contra. CIA giving guns to the Iranians and stuff, which nobody else seems to fucking think that's about. When it's the, whole, the fucking point of the movie is secession at the end of it. <laughs> Hands across America. They create a new country. Jeez, we'll do an US, a U.S. episode one day. Zach will not be involved with that. <laughs> I will get to yell at Ben about that. But at least that's not just race baiting, which what it seems like what, you know, th- uh, Get Out is at sub- subsequent viewings and what this is with the gentrification. It's the, it's the class baiting. I feel like Us is at least trying to say something, I don't and at least maybe lubing it up for us type of thing, where the other movies go down so rockily when you understand what they're going for. Which is what Jordan Peele, what people like from him. They want that from him. He thinks that's what people want. You're not wrong. The All Men Are Rapists episode of Twilight Zone, that's what it is. It's cramming, it's literally cramming a rock down your face that all men will try to rape you eventually. And it's very offensive. I don't like that. As a, as a man myself, I do not like that, that message. Is, that is a delightful episode. Oh, it's in the worst so, way possible. Uh, in the worst way possible, you're absolutely right. That episode should be a war crime. Oh my god. God damn. Explain that episode in, subs- in like oh, moderate detail to Rachel and Jeremy. It follows Vera Farmiga's sister, whose name I don't know. Taisa. It's Taisa. Is it Taisa? Go look it up. I think it's Tessa. No, there's like an I in there. 
Go look at There's an eye in there. <laughs> I, I'm looking at it. I gotta click through some shit. <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm not typing things in right now. I'm trying to play the Wikipedia game to get to Twilight Zone type of thing. <laughs> um, but I think it's Tessa Farmiga. I don't know where you get an eye from, Zach. <laughs> but anyway, as we look this up to uh, to see which it's is Tysa. It's T A I S S A. It's Tysa. It's not Tessa. It's Tysa. Ta Ta Isa. Taisa. Oh God, you're right. <laughs> it's stupid. T a i s s a. You know what the strange part is. You know the same. Okay, this is okay. Turn slide moment. What was the age difference between uh, Daniel Panabaker and James Woods? Forty years. Yes, forty. Like, like that is years. that is like the legit age difference between Vera Farmiga and Taisa Farmiga. Oh, like, okay. They're sisters okay. and they're forty years apart. Like that makes no sense. When she was in like Departed, her sister was like in the womb. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> One was born in 73, the other was born in 94. Okay. Like, it's okay. crazy to think there's a 20 year age difference God. between them. Okay, so. And they so both look identical. I had to look this up. I'm a little disappointed in myself that I had to look this up, but the episode, it's season one, episode seven of Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone, otherwise known as Twilight Zone 2019, the fourth reboot, fifth, fourth or fifth reboot of Twilight Zone. Um, the episode title, this is what I'm upset about, I didn't look up. Guess what it's called? Not All Men. <laughs> Okay, so the premise is uh, Taisa. I think it's Taisa. I'm gonna say, who knows? Farmiga Junior. <laughs> she is invited by a coworker to watch a meteor shower, and they. She goes to his place. He puts on a record. You know, he says, you know, I think the carpenters are divine. That's a Mandy <laughs> reference, Rachel. Uh, and and as they're watching the meteor shower, one of the rocks lands very close to their their. It's uh, a glowing red rock. Yes, it's a glowing. It looks like kryptonite, basically. And it lands very... One of the pieces of the meteorite lands close to this guy's house or cabin or lake what, lake house, whatever it is. And they go and see it, and the guy, like, touches it, and he's like, oh, something weird's going on. And then when they go back to the place, he becomes rapey. He pulls his pants down. He's, he's like, let me get it in. rapey, rapey, McRape face, basically. It's so over the top. And even though, Even though earlier in the episode, prior to the meteor... There's nothing there. He's being a gentleman for the most he part. He is. It, isn't there it's, a it's a workspace type isn't of thing. Right? Hey, do you want to come over? You isn't know, there this a type prelude to like where the office and like it's just like yes. a bunch of guys just like cat calling like like exactly like, just like exactly. ogling her. And so so this is set up. You know, she goes over. She's doing the whole thing where it's like, oh, it's fine. You know, you know, he's gonna respect me if I don't want to do anything. It's like this work thing, whatever. What the fuck do you want to call it? And she runs from him raping McRightface. She runs. She meets up with her friends, they go to some bar, it turns out the bar, a bunch of these fragments of meteorite have landed all over this town, and there's this fucking weird plot point that for some reason the men in this town, or the bar in this town, are taking chunks of the meteorite, drink. putting it in alcohol, and then shooting the alcohol. They're like, space shots, whoa, you know? And it's, it's essentially like, Steven. Nobody is doing that. It's I've Steven. done some crazy sh I put crazy shit in my body. I would do a fucking <laughs> space shot any day, okay? I like to have some knowledge of what I put in my body. And it's whether like somebody cooked it up in their redneck kitchen, or I'm not putting anything for space in my body. I'm just saying that. But this happens. They're doing shots, and they're all getting rapey. They're all getting really touchy-feely with the girls. And I think it's what, you know, um... Uh, Tessa Farmiga and whoever else isn't in the Ike Barinholtz there at some point? Well, later on, he's one of the husbands of her coworkers, which is really fun because Ike Barinholtz is owning the role. That was our the thing I said. Like Ike Barinholtz is doing his Mad TV skit in the Twilight Zone, but they run, and the whole episode becomes her and her friends running from rapey people. 
Because all the men want to be rapey. They're all, it's literally, that's what it is. It's not like they're zombies. They're literally of rob, their, you know, rob, own cognition. They're rape zombies. They're rape zombies. It's like, you know, they, they have lucidity. They have free will, but they're rapey. And the whole episode is setting up this meteorite is making them rapey. Like, that's, that's, that's a Twilight Zone thing. Like, whether or not you like this Twilight Zone, which I don't, you have to admit, that's a Twilight Zone sci-fi premise. This meteor falls and it causes changes in behavior. No problem with that. They go on. They go through this. You know, they get to somebody's house. Ike Barinholtz is really upset. I think there's something where, like, he has a cake for their anniversary. And they're in there. And they're, like, all afraid of him. And he's like, we're going to cut the cake, you know? And he's like, I'm going to cut you a piece. And he's, Ike Barinholtz starts to cut a piece or something. And the woman's like, no, 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 that's too big. And he goes, you're getting this fucking piece of cake, you know? And he's just, he's, like, acting to the nines. the best part of the episode. But they run. And eventually, because this stupid shit is like 40 fucking minutes long, probably longer. It's, it's nauseating. And is it like a FEMA camp? That's yes, yeah, like... at the end. Well, well, two things happen at the end. The B-plot is the brother of the co-worker is a gay guy. And he's on a date on a boat with another gay guy. And the meteorite made the other gay guy rapey. So we're getting gay on gay rape as well. Like male <laughs> gay rape. Which is... Which is Fine, I really like that. I like that idea of like, oh, like all men are being rapey regardless of their sexuality, you know? But then eventually they, they team up, like they meet up and they end up at like this, this FEMA camp, like the army is there type of thing. And in the army camp, it's almost inexplicable. In the army camp, the information is given to the audience that the army is doing tests on this meteorite and finding that the meteorite has no impact on the it's human body. It's, it's a placebo. It's a placebo. And the episode literally ends with them going, this is a placebo, you women can leave. And one of the guards says to Tessa Farmiga, you should smile more. <laughs> the most, the, yes, the thing that, you know, the feminist movement almost started on, of you should smile more. And literally, with that information, that the meteor was a placebo, it was this weird cosmic event that let men be more rapey, the message of the episode is all men are rapists. <laughs> and I finished watching this and I went, wow, I'm really offended by what I just saw. I need to send this to Zach. <laughs> and he watched it and he was like, dude, I can't believe this was, this was made. Because what happened is they were releasing that weekly, right? And it wasn't like a... It was, yeah, it was, I think they did maybe a, a, a batch at the start okay. just to get interest, but then it was weekly. Yeah. And that's what happens. Like, Rob kept giving me this. It was like back... Was this before or after uh, our favorite show, Euphoria? Uh, this was 20, May of 2019, the first so, season. So it was that same time frame. Probably, I think we yeah. were both hate-watching things. Yeah. And that was the idea that, like, yeah. you're like, you know, exactly, you're not going to believe this. Like, this is it, insanity. It is literally one of the things that I finished watching and I went... Wow. <laughs> I, I feel really upset about what this episode put forward to the culture. Because like I said earlier, I don't think I'm a rapist. I hope I'm not a rapist. Jeremy, please ever tell me if I'm a rapist. I would wrong, love to wrong. know. I would stop wrong, it. Wrong. Not all men. There you go. But guess what? And, what? and what does a rapist say? Not all men. But guess what? Now, it's called Not All Men, but the premise of the episode is It's All Men. <laughs> it's fucking baffling. That's only one episode. There's 20 of them. One's really good. One. <laughs> I told Jeremy in the car, which the cinema audience knows, about the octopus hacking a computer. There's that episode. There's the episode where the, uh, the black woman has the video recorder that when she hits rewind, it reverses time. They have to keep dealing with the same racist cop. Remember oh, that one? God. It's it's but just the guy every, from True Detective. Mm -hmm. Racist cop, you know, A. That's his that's his name, you know. Every if you need a racist cop, that's he you cast this dude. Yeah. 
And her son keeps getting killed by the cops because, once again, that's all co the cops just wait. It, well, on that episode, it's, it's really poorly done. Yes. Because you could do a Groundhog's Day premise of reliving that's the same it day. It is. It's, it's reliving the same day, but they keep encountering the same racist cop. You could do a really good story with that. Like, you're continually encountering racism. But the problem is that, like... I have no problem with that. My problem with the episode is that one of the times that they encounter the racist cop is when the, the mother... It's a mother and a son, um, the, the two black characters. She's taking the son to college. And she realizes that she has this camera that when she hits rewind, it resets the day to them at the diner at the start of it. And... When she realizes this near the beginning of the episode, she starts freaking out. She has like a panic attack while the son is driving. And they pull over. And, you know, they like do a... Sh they're freaking out. So they do like a half on the road, half off the side of the road type of thing. And they're like... The son's like, Mom, what's wrong? And the mom can't explain it. It's like a, a good tense moment. It's like what you expect from a Twilight Zone episode. Racist cop comes up. And racist cop is like, what's going on? Are you okay? And this is really before we know he's racist. We've got some hints of it. And he's like, are you okay? Like, what's going on? And the son is like, my mom's having something, like, something's wrong with her. We need to call an ambulance. Like, like she's, she's sick. We need to get her help. Like, he's freaking out like anybody would if your mom's having a panic attack on the side of the road. And the cop is like, okay, I'm going to call the ambulance. I would like you to get in your car and move it off the road so we can be safe. And the black kid immediately goes, what the fuck are you talking about? Fucking, what is wrong with you? My mother needs an ambulance right now. And he antagonizes the cop. And immediately the episode is like, no. The black kid's in the wrong right here. The cop just asked him to move his car to yeah, safety so the ambulance class. could get here. And the black kid blows up at him. And I'm like, you've immediately undercut yourself. <laughs> and it is fucking bonkers. <laughs> then because the episode, the episode it plays it as it the great. cop is wrong. Because what happens, Like, the cop should have fucking said ambulance, ambulance, ambulance in a mirror the, and but, summoned but one. But this is the thing, though. <laughs> it gets progressively worse in the social justice message. This is why I'm not surprised about this movie. If anything, it's probably relatively... Candyman 2021 is probably relatively tame for Jordan Peele. Mm -hmm. Because it gets progressively worse because, like Rob says, it's Groundhog Day, the mother realizes what's happened. And what happens is that it becomes like a fait accompli almost that the son's going to die because in every, like alternate reality, the racist cop shoots the son. Yep. And in yep. one of the alternate realities, she does everything within her power to placate the racist cop. Like, she buys him a meal. She, I think she, she, what, she offers herself sexually to him. Yeah! Everything. Really and disgusting Really stuff. stuff. And all the cop wants to do is just shoot a black man. That's mm -hmm. all he wants. He has a bloodlust. And the episode <laughs> ends. It's not even a joke. Tell me I'm wrong. No, it's, it's, it's funny thinking about how this even exists. It's like... All, we're talking about this. It's like the idea that, like, like, the white cop, all they want to do is just murder black men. To the point where, like, they get outside the college gates and the black... I'm sorry, the white cop has, like, literally created a... Oh, God. Blockade yes, around yes, the campus. To stop him from getting like, into college. there's only yeah. one way you get into this college, and that's in a body bag. <laughs> and it's like, what? It is. It is rough. And it's absurd. I, I don't want. I don't want anybody who hasn't seen, whether it be Rachel and Jeremy or Babu Frick. I Foster, don't. Foster. Oh, Babu, yeah. thoughts on racist cop? Uh, uh. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I should have said thoughts on Twilight Zone 2019. Um, but it's not just. This show is not just bad in the racial aspect, where it's over the top racial messages. Which, once again, racial messages can be done well. It's a story that needs to be told. There's literally an episode in the first season where Chris O'Dowd, the Irish actor from the IT crowd, you know, have you tried turning it off and turning it on again? Him, he's in one of these episodes. He literally falls in love with a gun. There is a scene at a divorce lawyer's office where he storms out of the divorce proceedings, holding the gun, screaming while he's in the elevator, 
I love this gun more than I ever loved you to his ex-wife. That's how stupid. Rachel just did a snort how stupid that is. I hope the recording picked that up because you are right. That is how fucking dumb this show is. So it's not just race. It's all across the board stupid. Oh, God, Jordan Peele. Is there anything else we want to say about Candyman, Candyman or anything like that? Oh, God. Uh, are we going to, Zach, next year do Candyman 2 and 3, the direct-to-video sequels? Does, do you have any interest ever watching? Nope. If, if somebody gave those to you, Zero. would you ever turn them on? If you were given those. It would have drive. to be a, a, a late-night movie where like somebody had some, somebody some motif egged, for Somebody it. egged it on? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It would, it, I, would have, I would have to take some serious convincing to watch the other two candy. Unless movies. there's something in those movies that would deliberately pique my interest, something very specific, I would not... I would not seek them out. I am a hundred. I would imagine they're. You. I would imagine they're better than this. I hope <laughs> they could be worse, could they? Oh god! So it is. So the the next two are Candyman, Farewell to oh, the Flesh, flesh. and Candyman, Day of the Dead. Oh yeah, it was like what Dio de Muertes. Dio de Muertes. Yeah, Dio de los Muertes. Yep. Um, Bill Condon. The, yeah, Bill Condon does the second one. Fair the director the of Flash. Dream Girls yeah. and writer of Chicago. Good old, good old Bill Condon. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh he, man, he directed Beauty and the. He oh, does Breaking Dawn, Part One and Two. Oh my God, Rob, do we have to watch this now? Do we have to watch this now? Uh, I think that uh, we're going to make Jeremy watch all the Twilight movies. He <laughs> <laughs> will like them better than Candyman. Rob, Rachel's seen all the Twilight movies. Oh. Uh, the director of Candyman 3, Day of the Dead, Turi Meyer, does not have a Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you know. That's the mark of quality when you don't have a Wikipedia page. Oh, God. Um, yeah, any, any other, anything else you want to say about Candyman? Any, any, anybody? Rachel? Jeremy? Zach? I, I think I'm all, I'm exhausted out. We've, I feel like we're forgetting something. I feel like there's got to be at least one other moment. This that's always the bane of, of, you know, seeing these movies so close to when we record, you know? We don't have time, a lot of time to stew on it, but, but that's also the benefit of recording it in person, that we get to have this much fun, um, that type sure. of thing. So anything else? Any other scenes you wanted to mention, or... I think we covered most of it, you know? We talked about the flamboyant gay brother, talked about the, uh, the art show... The direct cinematography is good, you're right. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I guess with that being said, we can get to our questions, okay? Um, Zach, I would like you to start. Because I have the question that I always ask on double features. Are we, are we, are we putting them, them together or are we separating them? Yeah, we've got to band together. Really? Together. Why uh, not? You really think one's better than... I, you really want... Okay. My 1992 Candyman for Cinemati is I have a, I'm uneasy about... But everything else is no across the fucking board. <laughs> so I guess I should start. Late night for either of these, no. I don't want to watch them again. I wouldn't subject anybody to these. I don't think they're worth watching. New Candyman, 2021, Cinemodity, absolutely not. Yeah. Jordan Peele is not a Cinemodity director. I don't even think I call Get Out or anything a, a Cinemodity, if we ever covered those. Um, but I'm kind of thinking from the original Candyman... The first Man, one could be said as a Cinemodity. I'm, I'm so leaning towards yes, it. because that you back half is so strange and so muddled. You can, okay, I'll let you unban them. That's fine. Okay, okay. Cinema, so, I'm going to agree with you. Cinemality to Candyman, I don't even think it applies to the late night movie. No, no, not at all. Not at In all. In 2021, please just let, can we throw it away? What's your cat's name? Loomis. Loomis. Cinemality is in late night. He jumped. When I moved my hand down, it jumped a little bit. What do you think? <laughs> now it's just smelling my finger. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I think we're in agreement, then, Zach, with our, with our everything. Okay. Jeremy. For, for both, you have four questions to answer now. <laughs> Candyman, original and remake, Cinemodities and Late Night. What do you think? 
Go for it. There's a lot. <laughs> with the 2021 movie, I absolutely agree with you guys. Um, with the 1992 movie, now, I think you're right. I would say the um, it's not really a late night movie because it's not really... It's not a great movie, but the thing is, like, unlike the 2021 movie where I'm like... I was just bored the entire time and I feel like I just wasted 90 minutes, essentially. The <laughs> 1992 movie at least kept me entertained. Like, yes. it's so strange. It's so weird. Like, I actually, I wanted to know, like, what could possibly happen next? Yeah. So. I think that's something, just to make clear, I think we're all, when you say that we're in agreement, once that second half kicks in and Virginia Madsen is framed for murder in an insane asylum, I was thinking. Freddy got fingered jumping out the window. Freddy got fingered escaping the insane asylum. I'm like, I did not expect this movie to go this direction. You know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We're on the same page. So, okay, okay, right on. Did he miss anything? No, I guess so. Okay. He said, he said what, cinema? I think we got it. The first yeah. film, and late night. When I, when I edit this, if you have anything indeterminate, we'll call you in March of well, next yeah, year. Well, yeah, because next yeah. week he will be indeterminate. We know that. Yeah, right? oh, two, yeah, one or two weeks from now, who knows. <laughs> Rachel, okay, you're a first on Cinemodities. A lot first in this month. Do you have an understanding of what we mean when we ask you Cinemodities and late night status? Late nights is something... Cinema... Okay, yeah. cinema... Can you let her answer? <laughs> she had, like, three words out before you, you cut over. <laughs> let her make a fool of herself, Zach. <laughs> um, Cinemodities may be, like, quirky, like, something that, like, you'll see over and over again. Late nights is, like, and we watch it once, and that's kind of over and done with. I, I feel know. like you've influenced her too much. Not really. I don't she know. I got wrong. I explained it poorly if I influenced her. Okay, well, I think I want to do a nice experiment then. Uh, with that possibly wrong understanding, please answer these questions. <laughs> Rob's gonna give you the rope to hang. So, so let's let's break it down. Let's start with the original. So, Candyman, nineteen ninety-two. Cinemodities, yes or no? What do you think? Is it a cinematic oddity? Yeah, I would. Yeah, if my understanding is either wrong or correct, I would probably watch it again. Like okay. after we talked about it, everything, I like change my stance on it. I I do that a lot. Like, oh, well, so. <laughs> From the beginning, I was like, no, nah, I'm not gonna watch this again. I would say like the first one, I would. Possibly one. Okay, as a late night movie for the like, original Candyman, what do you think? No. <laughs> okay, gonna, okay, interesting, it. interesting. <laughs> now, same questions, but for 2021 Candyman. No, it was boring. It was no to both? Yeah. Cinemize and late night? Yeah, it was okay. You seem very, you seem very timid about I, these answers. <laughs> Where's your confidence? <laughs> you just sat through two and a half hours of Zach and I yelling at each other about <laughs> Jordan Peele. Where's the confidence coming in here? You should be ready. <laughs> She's waiting for the red meteor. She's just waiting. Okay. For that. Well, I, I, when I edit this, we'll see how it goes. Uh, this is more work for me in the spreadsheet with five people. I mean, Babu Frick, what do you think about oh, cinema? Oh, oh, we have, oh. To, we have four questions for Babu. Oh, that's right. Okay. All right, okay. Babu. Okay. Nin so, 1992 Candyman cinematic status. That sounds good. That he sounds agrees like a with us. Yes. Okay. Majority. Of us. Okay. Cin uh, Candyman 1992 late night status. I think, that's a, no. I think that's a no. I think that's a no. Black, black, doesn't want to remember no. it. Doesn't want to remember it. Okay. Candyman 2021 Cinemodities. <laughs> that's how we felt leaving the theater. <laughs> a guttural laugh. <laughs> Candyman 2021 Late Night. Yeah. Well, we'll give him a mulligan. We'll give him a mulligan. Okay. He's disoriented. He's, he's through a lot of information. Okay. Candyman 2021 Late Night. <laughs> 
That's okay. a yes. Okay. That's, a that's yes. interesting. That's interesting. That's an interesting split. Right? That's so a true split. I will, I will have so much nonsense to deal with in the spreadsheet. I cannot wait to deal with it. Um, before we get to our snacks, there's one other question I want to ask you guys. All around the room. How many rings are in the Shang-Chi movie? <laughs> <laughs> Rachel? Ten. Ten? Ten. Oh, shit. <laughs> I only saw five in the trailer. Okay, okay. We're, we're, on, we're on snacks. We're on snacks. So I, we're going to do snacks for both movies, of course. I only wrote down snacks for the first movie. Maybe you guys can supplant. Well, oh, should we say what we brought into the theater? Oh! I cannot believe we went two and a half hours without talking about the snack aspect. Okay, yes. We should get it. Okay, compared to the like hour we talked about the yeah, Avengers Endgame yeah. experiment, this was like rushed. Like, Zach was really gung-ho even yesterday when we were hanging out in my parents' Rachel place. heard about this like days yeah, ago. We were like, what are we going to do for snacks? And I'm sitting here like, I don't know, Zach. Like, we, we, are we doing this type of thing, you know? <laughs> and I think it really came down to... One, Zach's saying, well, the snack idea, the impetus of the snack idea is that, you know, people in the theater need to see you eating this thing. Like our pizza, our famous pizza story. We didn't have anybody in the theater to see us eating anything. And that's something we talked about even before we knew it was we just kinda, us We the kind theater. of assumed it was going to be an empty theater. Yeah, and so we settled on honey roasted cashews, which were good. I do have to say, they were good. I ate a bunch during the credits. That's it. <laughs> uh, not even the credits, oh, the trailers before the movie started. Yeah, so, so that's what we did. And I think even, you know, as you, Zach said, you're like, that's why we're giving into it. Because there's not going to be that many people there. If we had another experience like the Avengers Endgame experience, we'd have to put a lot of thought into snacks. But this, on a... Uh, what day of the week is it? Tuesday. <laughs> Tuesday at 5 p.m. <laughs> I'm on vacation. Every day's blurring together. Uh, Tuesday at 5 p.m. after the movie's been out for two plus weeks. You know, nobody was there. It's fine. We had honey involved. It's bee related. Whatever. Um, a severe lack of honey in these movies, considering the amount of bees. Yeah, like, yeah. There's some honey apparently like, on his corpse. That was kind of. Yeah, they mentioned that. We thought in the original movie he fed the baby honey on his finger, but there's no implicate. There's yeah. no expl explicit detail of that. We just thought that what it was. I do want to mention that after we finished the first Candyman movie, Zach said snacks. Like that's exactly how he said it. Snacks. And Rachel said fireball, and I went the whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> And I was ready to bring in a bunch of little tiny whiskey <laughs> containers into this movie. And I think we can all around this table agree that would have made the 2021 movie a lot better if we were drinking. Fireball is fucking disgusting, but at least we would have had some intoxicants in our system. So, with that being said, snacks for the restaurant. I only really have ones from the original movie. Maybe you guys, like I said, know, uh, can think of some things from the new one because I was not thinking of snacks from the new one. But I think I wanted to kick it off with one of my favorites that I wrote down from the first movie. I just wrote, Toilet Full of Bees. <laughs> In the first movie, we see Virginia Madsen go into a public bathroom, and she sees a toilet full of bees. I don't know how many bathrooms we have in the restaurant, Zach. We haven't discussed how many, like, like the restaurant. Two? <laughs> like two toilets, you know? They we have the exact, like, shanty bathrooms they have in, uh... The project. Maybe we have the little shanty mm, bathroom. Okay, okay. Like, like almost like a... Like an outhouse type thing, yes. but as like a, 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 like a, a park, park bathroom. Like a park yeah, bathroom, exactly. yeah, yeah, like yeah. A public park bathroom. And and maybe every day or every business day, a different one of the toilets is filled with bees. Yes. But you're never going to know which one it is. 
So it would mean like one day you go and you'd be like, oh, you go going? I can't use that toilet. It's full of bees. You go to the next <laughs> one. Next day, someone's still trapped in the restaurant. They come back. They go, can't go to that toilet. It's full of bees. They go to the one they used. That one's full of bees now. <laughs> a three-card body. Yes. <laughs> it's like three-card bees. <laughs> so I had that. And I also, because we mentioned earlier, I wrote down raw meat aggressively thrown onto a counter. <laughs> we, we talked about it after the original movie. It looked like flank steak. Um, it was cut up in chunks, thrown into a bowl with bag salad. Yes. What do we want to do there? Well, I do want to. Okay, I, yeah, 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 yeah. I figured we could brainstorm want, this one. I want. I have it very laid out, very methodically. Okay. Steak tartare salad. Ooh, does that exist? I I hope it doesn't. I hope it doesn't because it'd be can. a crime. It could exist because steak tartare exists. Salad's raw. It could exist. It'd be like a chewing nightmare, though. Yes, that's true. That's true. Let's let's do let's do a quick <laughs> search. Rob's intrigued by this. Have any fun. anybody at this table ever had steak tartare? No. 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 Once. Oh, you it's have. Good. It's once. good. It's Raw solid. meat is good. <laughs> uh, first thing on Google when I searched steak tartare salad came up with steak tartare and Boston lettuce salad recipe from Ludo Lefebvre. Who was a guest judge on this week's episode of Hell's Kitchen? Wow, that's a plot twist. <laughs> that's only a Rob piece of knowledge. Uh, maybe Bob Ufrick. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, I, I like that idea. So I have a few more snacks from the first movie. What do you guys think? Any snacks you guys want to throw up? Well, I have the. Uh, I like the idea of Candyman like glory hole wall. Ah, uh, that was one of mine. Maybe yes. for Halloween time, we take our. Okay, for those of you who don't know, including fifty percent of the room. <laughs> We have a glory hole with caviar. So imagine yes. that, like, imagine a glory hole, which is, I think we all know as adults what that is. It's a hole. It's a hole in a restroom filled with glory. <laughs> in this case, in the San Monte's restaurant, glory is caviar. Uh, yes, yes. But we paint it on during Monstober times as Tony Todd's face. Ooh, okay. Like that screaming mural. Yes, and Okay, yes. I like that. So that, that, that is probably the better thing that I had because I wrote down mouth doorway slash glory mouth hole, which is a hole in the shape of a mouth that you put your body through. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it's an entryway. Maybe it's an exit way. Maybe it's both. Maybe it's caviar. Okay, I, I can dig that. The um, restaurant's a very fluid pe- place. Exactly. It's sad. very fluid. It's very progressive. It's very fluid, you know, of course. <laughs> um, I had another one that I wanted to mention because I, I know you guys, when we watched the original Candyman, I'm, I, like, yelped at the screen when it happened. When Virginia Madsen is in the insane asylum and she's freaking out because Tony Todd is levitating above her, <laughs> the, the nurses come in and they say, Give me a thousand mils! He's under the bed! And I went, a thousand mils of what? <laughs> like, you have to say what medicine you're giving her, like, or anything like that. So I wanted a menu, an, a menu item just called a thousand milliliters. <laughs> and maybe it's like our soup du jour, where the thousand milliliters is just every day we have a different liquid or, you know, like liquid-based food that we give in a syringe of a thousand milliliters. It what do you be, think? It could be Pepto-Bismol. It could be Pepto-Bismol. It could be yeah. bees. <laughs> it could be it could be honey. It could be Pepto Bismol. It could be medicine. It could be caviar. It's a great thing. It's like you know, what's your syringe of the day? You know, type of thing. I, I really like that idea. <laughs> Jeremy, I have to throw it to you. Did you have any snacks from either movie? Any any thoughts on the restaurant? I guess you know before you answer, because you look like you have a question. You have an answer. 
Now that we have Jeremy, not for the first time I'm recording, but the first time on Cinemodities. Have you been to the Cinemodities restaurant? We're, go we're going abstract oh, right here. Yeah. <laughs> have you been to the Times Square flagship location of the Cinemodities restaurant? I don't think that's fair. You should ask me how many times. Ooh, okay, okay. Maybe how about this? We'll meet in the middle, Zach. What was your favorite trip to the Cinemodities restaurant? <laughs> that's the correct answer to this. Jeremy thing. is like, why the hell am I here? <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy's like, I knew this ambush was coming ever since last you, night. You can answer any way you want. This is ad lib off the cuff. What is your favorite trip to the Cinematics restaurant? I don't even know what episodes he's listened to. I don't know what snacks he's familiar with. Go for it, Jeremy. He's listened to all the episodes. Oh, right? yeah, he's a diehard fan. Every episode. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, We're waiting, Jeremy. <laughs> I'm just gonna try to fill a bunch. So if I let Rob talk long enough, he'll move on. Now I'm expecting that I'm just gonna like Jeremy's not gonna have to say I'm gonna edit in a bleep and then go. Jeremy said he is not. He is on advice of legal counsel. <laughs> he has decided not to answer while lawsuits are pending. <laughs> if you want to answer that and/or throw in your snacks, go for it, Jeremy. The floor is yours. <laughs> We're putting a lot of... Now, you're, this is your second recording. The handcuffs are off. <laughs> uh, all right, let's see. So, I guess I should say the first time I went to the Cinematics restaurant. <laughs> yes! Yes! <laughs> I don't remember. I remember walking in and then the next morning. Ooh, Ooh. I like that. I like that. Okay, yeah. okay. So you have like a Virginia Madsen, you know, <laughs> yep. maybe, like a, well, I guess the question then becomes, did you come out in the next morning with the head of a Rottweiler? <laughs> um, might have been a, uh, like, uh, might have been a monkey's paw. Ooh, okay, oh, okay, okay, keep it topical, okay, okay. Have you had better experiences since then? Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Okay, okay. We won't very, put on too very, much. Very indeterminate. With the ad libs. Did you have any snacks for Candyman? I guess that's the next, the, the more, well, the more important question. Well, there was one thing that I think we missed. Ooh. The lollipops with the razor blade. Oh, the razor blade candies, <laughs> which are in both movies. Yep. Very briefly in both of them, but yeah, okay. Um, yeah, this, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you reminded me of this, because this is something that, you know, Jeremy, you and I have talked about this a lot, uh, when we've complained about news stories. I remember Jeremy and I got into a, a big heated thing where, remember pill parties? Remember the news stories saying kids would go, they, they'd go and take their, their parents' medication, they go to their friend's house and all pour it into a bowl, and then they just take some pills and eat them. I remember us talking about that back in, like, high school, or, and we were like, this is some media frenzy bullshit. Like, nobody's doing this. Like, this is the biggest, this is the biggest Law & Order SVU scare tactic we've ever heard type of thing. I would love to get your thoughts, Jeremy. Not whether or not it's ever happened once. Do you think razor blades and candy is a common thing in Halloween? There's a correct answer to this. Uh, is there? Yeah, there's no objective answer to it's this. It's no. Yeah, it happened like once. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is that how you feel? Yeah. Okay. It's like the poison Tylenol. Exactly. Like the media like just fucking rolls with it. There's a monk episode about it, so everybody knows what it is. That's the Tylenol yeah. thing you mentioned. Razor blades and the candied apples. Yeah. Exactly. And that's some bullshit. That's just, that stuff angers me so much. I remember back in high school, my parents were like, don't go to any pill parties. And I'm like, nobody does this. <laughs> like, nobody fucking does this. I'm like, this is, this is a made-up concept. 
If anybody can find their parents' pills to get high, they're just going to take them right then and there. They're not going to pour them in a bowl for their friends. That's the biggest bullshit. Sharing is caring, bro. Okay, I like what you're saying, though. We should have some candy with razor blades. I like that. You can get on board with that, right, Zach? Of course. Now, the question is, is this a menu item, or is this a bowl of candy in the Sin E Modities portion of the restaurant? Oh, oh. Are you aware of the Sin E Modities portion of the restaurant? No. Okay. Uh, Rachel? <laughs> no. Okay. You know how you got Chuck E. Cheeses? Yeah. We got Sin E Modities. <laughs> it's the kids portion of the restaurant. It's, ball pit it's where the adults drop their children off for a moment of reprieve. We even have closets that adults can go in after they drop their kids off and just get drunk as shit in. Um, so that's the question. Do we make the razor blade candy just a Sin E Modities, a kids portion of the restaurant? Just so Jeremy knows, for some grounding... One of the things, two of the things we have in the Cindy Mottis Portion Restaurant, one of them is Oogie Boogie's Lair, which is like blades and shooting <laughs> roulette machines, and another one is a bacteria petting zoo. So it's a bunch of Petri dishes where kids can go and pet the bacteria. It's one of my favorite things in the restaurant. So, so what do you think? Should it be kids only? Should it be adults only? Should it be both? Razor blade candy. What do you think? I'm going to have to go with the kids. Yeah, definitely. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Okay, okay. Uh, that lollipop with that razor blade. Fucking Sublime. Just put Sublime. a goddamn bowl right in the entrance of the Sydney Modities portion of the restaurant, you know? Oh, that's great. Rachel, okay. are you familiar with the snacks? Are you familiar with the restaurant? Yes. How was your experience at the Sydney Modities restaurant? <laughs> For tonight's episode? No, the first time you went. I don't know when it was. Uh -oh. Zach went there with you, I'm sure, without me, you know. He's the one who's closer. He's the one who goes and checks up on the day-to-day, -day, you know. I'm the operations manager. Well, uh, yeah, every, every, time, every time Zach's not on an episode, I, I explain what he's doing at the restaurant. I'm sure he, dra he dragged you along a few times, you know. Just... I'm trying to remember. Yeah, first date there. <laughs> I hope it was just in our office, <laughs> the only safe space in the restaurant. Do you want to explain, for those of you who like, maybe there's some new members here who see us talking about a contemporary movie. Rob, do you want to explain maybe some of the history of the restaurant to to just, not just our uh, I mean new guest host, but just like that we started it. Like, what what are you getting at? Well, like, the fact uh, that it's an infinite void. Well, I mean, yes. I mean, if if anybody doesn't know, it's uh, everything you need to know about the restaurant is that it's. Um, in Times Square, New York. Where Mars 2112 Underground, where Mars 2112 used to be. Um, it's 100% real. It's 100% real. That's the last part. It's finite <laughs> on the outside. It's infinite on the inside. You have to take a ferry to get to it, somehow. <laughs> and it's totally real. That's all you need to know. That's really all you need to know. So what did you think about the restaurant? You liked it, right? We keep a good, a good place. I mean, you don't, you don't look too far in the back. It's pretty good, right? Oh, yeah. I don't remember... Once again, now I'm sensing yeah, a pattern here. That's yeah. two people now that went into the restaurant. I don't remember. That's that's a little unnerving. Maybe like the VIP pass should be like the anti-retro <laughs> retro memory thing. Clearly, because... it feels like there's like a men black neuralizer that's yes, going on. Yes. There's like no liability to tr like transcend it into the yes, neuralizer. Yes, exactly, exactly. Okay, Rachel, I'm glad you gave us that insight into the restaurant. <laughs> Any snacks from these movies that you wanted to pitch? Um, for the first one, obviously, like the Pepto-Bismol color room. And then that's good because it press appetite, which means less food costs. Oh, that's a good one. They <laughs> order the food, then they don't, remember we get paid for the food. Do you remember order. when Virginia Madsen threw the paint can at the wall? <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> this movie's bonkers. Okay, I like that. So Pepto Bismol painted room. Yes. Okay. Then, Maybe that's the infirmary. <laughs> Do we have an infirmary? 
We have to. We time. have to. For us, at least. <laughs> um, there's a lot of stuff in the restaurant that's just for Zach and I. <laughs> okay, that's a good one. Um, and then her scalp when she came out of the, the bonfire reminded me of the either the hot tamales or the fireballs. I don't know why. That's where that's you the got candy. the fireball. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That was just a non sequitur. That, yeah. that, that I, was the I did just... not make that connection. I understand now. Okay, okay. So um, fireballs, hot yeah, tamales, yeah. because... Of burnt human skin. Okay. Yes. You're fitting um, right in here. Absolutely. And then um, I figured the new movie we could give, like, Plan B out. Like. Ooh, that's a great one because we have so many people trapped in the restaurant that they have to be procreating. So we fucking nip that shit in the bud. Absolutely. Okay, okay. Control the population. Maybe Rachel, I'm not down the can we please take our two uh, co-hosts and meld their ideas? Oh, what do you got? What's can your thoughts? Can we have lollipops with razor blades in it, but we have Plan B mixed in for the children, so we sterilize them. This is becoming the fucking pigeon feed in New York City and big cities that they, they, they give out so they sterilize the pigeons. We're literally dropping Plan B from the sky in the restaurant. Oh, my God, I love it. The children are looking at lollipops with Plan B next to oh. razor blades. So it doesn't uh, cut their mouth, we are sterilizing them. We, we've talked many times about how Mariska Hargitay and the New York police do not like our restaurant, but now we're getting to a whole nother level of human rights issues with this one, I think, which I love. Okay, that's great, that's great. I think the last one I had, I don't know if you had any more, Zach, but um, from the end of the first movie, why don't we do a massive bonfire celebration? I would love, we have... Probably, we have debris, yeah. we have helicopter parts, because we have a helicopter ride that people can like pay to shoot the helicopter out of the sky for. We have furniture that's been broken, I'm sure. We have dead employees that, you know, whenever, if anybody doesn't know, when our employees are bad, or die, you know, either one, we do the face hugger from Alien, it births a better employee, we gotta get rid of the body, maybe every... I was about to say month. It's probably more like week, right? Wait, it's, it's like seasonal. Is there some context to that? Like in the second movie? That, like, yeah, they say oh, like, like it's the annual season. celebration yeah. or something. Where in the first movie it was just played as like, oh, Candyman's there. Let's yeah. burn this. You know, that type of thing. But I was thinking, let's, let's get all our garbage together and have a big bonfire, right? That's a good fun. I think that's a good way to end these snacks. That, and the start of Monstober. We're going to have a bonfire sure. for Monstober. I like that. I like that. And, of course, you know, maybe uh, we can cook some things on the bonfire, save on gas, that type of stuff. <laughs> any other snacks? Any other final thoughts? Anything else about Candyman 1992, 2021? Anything at all? Okay. That brings us to the end of the episode. I want to say thank you so much. Once again, order of importance. Thank you so much, Babu Frick, for being here. Yeah, I feel that way too. We all wish I'm going to forget this memory. <laughs> uh, Jeremy, thank you so much for being here for the second time, but the first time people are hearing you, and not the last uh, in chronological order. And Rachel, same to you. Thank you so much for being here. I think we got uh, people in our clutches, which Zach says. It's great to have this outsider perspective. I think then, of course, as always, head on over to the Cinemodities Patreon, patreon.com slash cinemodities to support the podcast and get access to even more bonus content. Our tie-in for Monstober this month is Ben and I discussing Monster House. It is a movie. I have not edited that episode yet, and I don't remember what we said about it, but it is a movie. Rob, can you please tell your favorite, you want to say your favorite joke from that movie? No, I want to, one of my favorite, it's not only my favorite joke from that movie, it's one of my favorite movie jokes ever, so I, I want the audience to go check out our Patreon because okay. there's a joke in Monster House that I find so ungodly funny 
And I think it gets to the point in our, our recording between Ben and I where I'm laughing hysterically and Ben's like, Rob, we get it. You like this joke, you know? And he's like, I think it's funny too, but please stop. So everybody check that out on Patreon. Other than that, feel free to harass us. Cinemonies at gmail.com. Email us your insta-hard promos. Email us your instagrams uh, security things. Let us know what you think about Candyman. I think I would love to... If any of our, our audience has seen the other two Candymans, does it add anything? I would love to get some feedback for that, that type of stuff. And as always, check out the Cinemodities subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash Cinemodities for more information about the show. Jeremy, Babu Frick, Rachel, thank you for being here. And that brings us to how do we end this episode. Well, I'm already decided. I don't... Disco Inferno... Okay. It's a medley of Philip Glass. There's an Inferno. Inferno. Where's the disco? That's where I'm... I'm burn, I'm, baby, burn. There's a baby burning. <laughs> <laughs> well, shit. <laughs> okay, you sold me. We're doing a combination of Disco Inferno, whose artist's name I don't have written down, and the opening credits by Philip Glass, Philip Glass a medley. We're going to play that in reverse. And Zach, I want to give you the final word. For Monstober, we're kicking it off, we're finishing up. How excited are you for the rest of Monstober? I'm pumped. Okay. I feel horrible that I wasted a slot on my precious Monstober. This is great. This is way above our average timeline. This is fantastic. Are we at Shining Level? We're at three hours. Yeah, we we are about to hit three hours. So (laughs) The clips were easily 3.15. Oh, God. Oh, my God. The clips of us laughing in this episode. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Candyman. 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 Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Uh, uh... <laughs> <laughs>